Hello, two true freaks! Cobra Commander here! I recently had an opportunity to listen to your 200th episode, and all I have to say is STOP STEALING MY IDEAS! Your bald-faced attempt to brainwash an army of weak-minded fools into your service was my idea! I came up with it, and if you think you're going to get away with it, you've got another thing coming! Also, why do you keep talking about Star Trek? That came out in the 60s! It's time to move on! Anyway, keep up the good work. Here's the 200 more. Cobra Commander, out. Alright, now. I don't, how do I turn this thing off? Mindbender, how do you turn this off? I'm pushing that. It's not doing anything. Stop! What? Let me to my Yeah, exactly. What? <laughs> he said, before he hung up, Chris said, let me introduce you to, and I said, <laughs> my It'll polish your floors. It'll vacuum your rug. It's a floor cleaner. It's a her it's a hernia checker. Does does this rag smell like chloroform to you? My favorite line of all time. Does this rag smell like chloroform? <laughs> 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 ah, fuck the both of you. All right. You love you me. You know it. No, I don't. Yes, you do. I just tell you that to get some. Oh, oh. he does. That's uh, his oldest trick. You said you loved me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, are we ready? I'm it's ready. Gonna, I am ready when you guys are. All right. That should not be the opener. No, 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 no. <laughs> All right, here we go. <clears throat> you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com, please be aware that if you use the Amazon.com link located on our website, www.2TrueFreaks.Libson.com, 2 True Freaks will receive a referral bonus for any items you purchase. There is absolutely no additional cost to you whatsoever for doing this. All proceeds go directly toward keeping new episodes of all your favorite 2 True Freaks affiliated podcasts rolling, and it really helps us out. So please... Use our Amazon.com link anytime you plan to visit Amazon.com. Welcome to Amazon. I love you. <laughs> okay, let's get this show on the road, gang.
Scott Gardner and Chris Honeywell. And Michael Bailey as Bad Pearl. Hello and welcome to Two True Freaks, episode 203, if you can believe that. This is Comics Monthly, number 32, and I am Scott Gardner, joined by two of my bestest pals in the whole universe. Well, of course, you know, Bruce Boxleitner's not here, but besides him, we got Michael Bailey, and Hello. we got Chris Honeywell. Hi there. Hello. Hey there, hi there, ho there. That was my <laughs> Peter Gabriel big time Hi there. <laughs> Hi there. So, we're here to talk about funny books with pictures in them. Because I can't be. <laughs> yeah, that's why you listen to those books on tape for all those Star Wars and Star Trek novels. You're <laughs> yeah, a funny right. book with pictures in it. <laughs> right off the bat, I have to apologize to the listeners. I have no idea how this is all going to sound once it's all edited and post and everything. But I have a feeling... Seeing as how, quite literally, episode 200 just about fucking killed me, that this one's going to have considerably less bells and whistles in it than our normal Comics Monthly Monday, which I'm sure will thrill Dan North no no end. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. So if, if, you, if you notice a, a, a decline in, in the scoring and the silly sound effects and all that, I apologize, but uh, I, I just might go... More or less raw on this I'm, one because I man, gotta tell I'm you, I don't think you're gonna hear talking. anything that intensely sound recorded from us unless it's a special show that isn't four hours long or fucking episode 500. Okay, right. there's not gonna yeah. be any episode 300 celebration. Ooh, who cares <laughs> about 300? You know. 200 is a bicentennial, 400, whatever. It's- Before 200, I was thinking, you know, we're coming up on three years. You know, we need to do a big show for, for when we hit the three-year mark. Yeah, not going to happen. That, that, no. Well, that we'll just count 200 as that more or less, uh, yeah, I guess. I'll, I'll you guys need to do a call-in show because that shit always goes. Yeah, that, I would, yeah, I'd be down for that because then you can't really fuck around with it too much. I'd be, yeah, I'd be, I'd be down. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Did you listen to my 100th episode of Views? Oh, this is true, yeah. There was a lot of fucking around around and that green room was getting kind of ugly yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. i was in that green room for a little while but well, hey, I mean, th- you, you know, know what episode what 200 has given us though What's the that? michael bailey dunk tank <laughs> <laughs> have you oh, i don't think mike's heard it yet you haven't oh. heard it yet no oh we just spoiled that for him yeah too bad <laughs> we got something oh, called dude. the michael bailey dunk tank now <laughs> And, and when I say I hate you, I mean, no, really, I hate you. <laughs> now, when it comes to the three-year anniversary, though, I think I'm just going to send you, like, a Carvel cake or something, Chris. Cause Ooh, cook still to yeah. us. Cookie push. Cookie push. Because, yeah. Push. Uh, Take yeah. a big bite of cookie push. <laughs> 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 just wants you to dig right into him. I'm James Carvel, and I weigh 545 pounds. I'm collapsing under my own weight. <laughs> what the fuck is going on? You, you're, you're from down south. Yeah, there there you was an ice. 
Oh, well, do you remember Carvel ice cream? It was oh, a- God, yes. There was one across, when we lived in, in near Allentown, there was one across the way from the newsstand. Right. Where they were one tearing of the all the factories like down. That. And I, exactly. <laughs> Carvel ice cream. Carvel ice cream has the best ice cream cakes. Oh, yeah. Ever. With that crunchy, crumbly. Well, because... Dairy Queen comes close because Dairy Queen does the similar crunchy stuff. Fuck Baskin Robbins and no, their no, soft. No, no, no. Baskin Robbins isn't even in the same ballpark. Yeah. So, um, no, I uh, I grew up. It's uh, you know what the first part of Comics Monthly Monday is always about food. Yeah. Well, that's just because I scarfed down some crystals and they were good. Well, I have I have a I have a fast food alert. When when we're done with, but don't don't you remember the the Carvel ice cream ads with the owner James Carvel doing the, you would see yeah. like this floating cookie puss and sometimes yes. they would make his voice higher, which made it even more. But he was so obese and like old that when he talked, you could hear like his jowls and breath and. You know, <laughs> I'm, we've got this new ice cream cake called called Cookie Puss. As, as the ice cream is <laughs> dropping down his Drilling down his chin and onto his chest. Yeah, his big hair. He, I picture someone who looks like Captain Lou Albano, you know? And, <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and yeah, those were the greatest, greatest, you know, that was a time when there, that was a golden age of local ads and, and, he didn't and, have any teeth left. All all of his teeth were the stubs of old popsicle sticks. <laughs> exactly. I just gums. stuck them in there. Uh, yeah. You don't need teeth Jenny. for ice cream. <laughs> My sister Jenny worked at Carvel Ice Cream. Oh, uh, she would sometimes answer the phone like she was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Thank you for calling uh, uh, Carvel Ice Cream. How can I help you? <laughs> and every once in a while, and this is sanitary, she would stick her hand in the hardening chocolate. And just walk around going, ah! <laughs> <laughs> but no, dude, we would we would go there a lot. And oh, man, I, I freaking loved Carvel. And they actually sell at Publix, and I think at Kroger down here, uh, Carvel ice cream cakes, mm-hmm. that, you know, in the, in the freezer section. Um, but 2002, Rachel got hurt, and it was right around the time of my birthday, and I and I always like to I used to always like to get an ice cream cake and her 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 brother, thinking he was doing something nice for me, got me one, but it was a Baskin Robbins cake, and and yeah, so fuck that, Baskin Robbins cakes because they have cake in them, yes, and I don't cake in an ice cream cake. I right. want a layer of chocolate. I want that crunchy stuff that is uh, that that is made from God Himself. Yes. With the vanilla Chocolate ice cream, God. Yeah. and I want that like cream, creamy icing ice cream that's yeah. on top. Oh right, that, that is just that, and it all tastes different, but together it's like God. Yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's three different like levels of diabetes on top of each other. It's beautiful. <laughs> that is pronounced diabetes. Di- diabetes. <laughs> See, they're cut from the same cloth. Those two. Jim Carvel and I don't get that at all because he went with the aliens in that movie. So should he be cured of diabetes by exactly. now? Exactly. 
I just don't understand that at all. How does that <laughs> Take work? the rest of my diseases, but leave my diabetes. I got a contract <laughs> with the American Diabetes Association. I, uh... A lot of money. I, uh... You almost made me spit out my uh, mountain piss or whatever this is. The, well, the, good. The, I'll keep you from getting diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the a great, the, there was a great bit on Family Guy where they had they were making fun of those commercials. My name's Wilford Brimley and I have diabetes. It hurts when I pee. I get irritable and I punched my wife. And then someone told me that my wife died five years ago. Who the hell did I punch? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's my fast food alert. And it may be old news to some people. But I'm kind of pissed off if it is old news that the world hasn't told me yet. I don't eat at Kentucky Fried Chicken that much because I like to live, and oh god, and so I went. But I had a craving for original. <laughs> there goes recipe. our endorsement with KFC. Yeah, god I know. damn it, I've been working on that too. <laughs> and I, but I had a craving for original recipe, so I went in to get some original recipe, and you know what they usually do at a place they go would you like a couple apple pies for 99 cents too and i said sure go yeah whatever and didn't think anything about it and ate my fried chicken and whatever and a couple hours later i was like yeah you know i got those apple pies there maybe i should try those out and i opened them up and they are basically the apple pies that mcdonald's used to have in the good old days those deep fried crispy crunchy pieces of heart attack and death that are just the most <laughs> wonderful and they're two for 99 cents uh, 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 I, I have been I have been mourning the death of those ever since I think it was like when we were in high school that they stopped making those and started making the healthier baked ones that tasted like dried yeah. out cardboard shit with apple in the middle of them instead <laughs> of a crunchy deep fried sweet filled uh, pastry awesomeness they have a lemon parfait there that makes me want to like punch an old woman it's so good oh it's, 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 it's got like a it's got like a whipped cream topping and then like a lemon meringue but the bottom is like a crust crumble thing mm-hmm so it's powdery. Yeah, you're talking you my language. It all together. God damn you guys are making me hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I just abused my body with crystal cheese, crystals, chili cheese fries. I just, so. I just, I just, I just picture the hair metal hero sitting somewhere with some headphones on at work in his stomach, going. Man, I can see a break coming shortly, so I can go dig around in the refrigerator. <laughs> go and if rush. not, you'll just carve out a leg off of one of the kids and eat that. <laughs> exactly. <you> <laughs> uh, eat all you want. We'll make more. There you go. <laughs> if you learn to eat comic books, Scott, you'd never go hungry. <laughs> I wonder no, which never... ones taste the best. Uh, you know what tastes like shit? Probably all the image books from the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Warmed over shit. Yeah, this so Rob Liefeld book might look like shit, but it sure tastes good. Yeah, they're b- basically like army, like, sea rations or something out of a can, you know, shit on a shingle. Damn, now that you say that, I bet you if you add a little bit of water to an old Sergeant Rock book, it probably does taste like an MRE. I never thought about that before, <laughs> but that's a damn good idea. Yeah, either right it tastes like that or beef jerky, man. Exactly, yeah. 
come from? What? Where did the Hershey bar come from? <laughs> <laughs> I'm confused. Oh, my God. All right, let's see. Steering this somewhat sort of maybe kind of back on track a little bit and make it somewhat related to something to do with maybe comic books or something like that. You got Scott. I don't know whether to say this excitedly or say this very depressedly. I found out, frankly, fellas, that I'm just not as unique as I thought I was as a podcaster anymore. And it, 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 it kind of upset me because you know what? I am no longer the world's sole monorail pilot podcaster. Really? I'm not. And it's I just don't know how to feel about it. Well, what's the other podcaster podcasting? Turns out that my good friend at work, uh, his name is Nick Maddox, hell of a nice guy. He's uh, he's a younger fellow. I want to say mid-20s, maybe. I'm not sure exactly how old Nick is. Really nice guy, though. Hell of a nice guy. And a fellow monorail pilot at the uh, Walt Disney World Resort. He has uh, just started up a new podcast. It's him and a couple of his buddies. And damn it, I'm sorry, Nick. I cannot remember the name of your friends. I've listened to... Uh, I think they have one or two new episodes out, but at one time it was all caught up on their show. I really dig it a lot. It's a good show. It's called uh, Geek New Wave Podcast. Oh, so it's, hi- a, it's a geek podcast, too. Oh, That's yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, well, I get, I, well, I don't know. That's weird, though. Two monorail pilots. I mean, there's yep. an infinite amount of subject matter for podcasts, you know? Oh, absolutely. So that's What I like weird. about his show is that they're... Uh, they're like an up-to-the-minute news type of podcast. They're covering... I mean, they're like right on the cusp of what's happening now in Geek World kind of thing. Oh, then there's no so, competition. There's no competition <laughs> no, between no, the two of us. No, but no, I, I, I told... You know, I, you know Nick, uh, when he found out that you know I do one as well, you know, it was like, hey, you know, let's do some cross-promotion type of thing. So they're working on doing a promo. And uh, he says, you know, they're they're gonna have uh, they're committed to like having a guest per episode type of thing. So at some point, I, you know, he's gonna try to work me into one of their shows, kind of thing. But uh, I enjoy their show a lot. The, I'm trying to think, what did they do? They did a show about uh, about uh, Super Eight that was really good. Um, I'm trying to remember what else they've covered. I know the one that I haven't heard yet. One of the brand new ones is uh, was about Cars Two. I believe they talked about Green Lantern. I know they talked about X Men um, first class, and they really enjoyed it. Pretty much, pretty much had the same opinions we had had on our had. show. That it was, it was, it was the you know the really good one of the summer. Um, didn't think too much of Green Lantern. Um, I'm trying to remember what the first one might have been Thor, but you know, interspersed with all that, you know, they the there's like one big topic of the show, which is generally a movie review. But then they also you know they talk kind of like how we usually start this show hey you know what are you into this week kind of thing right except it, it can be anything geek related so it's not necessarily comics or a movie it or whatever be you know what's something. the new album what's the new video game whatever so it's really interesting because they're all young guys and like i say they're right on the cusp of what's happening now in geek world so it's it's a really enjoyable podcast i like it a lot and uh, and i'll be listening to it and uh, I would recommend it to uh, you know if you're interested in what's happening you know in Geek World, check it out. It's uh, it's called Geek New Wave Podcast. You can find it at geeknewwave. That's all one word. dot com slash podcast. And their um, what you call it uh, RSS is geeknewwave. dot com forward slash podcast two. The number two podcast two all one word. dot xml. So uh, check them out. Let them know that Two True Freaks sent you over there because, uh, like I say, it's a really good show. Nick's a heck of a nice guy, and uh, and I really like the other two fellas that are on there, and I apologize that I cannot remember those fellas' names off the top of my head. But uh, definitely check that out. 
tell them that we uh, we clued you in on that. You'll you'll enjoy it, I promise. What else we got, fellas? Well, I I've only got one thing. About ten minutes before we started recording, I finished watching Green Lantern. What'd you think? I liked it. It it's good. It's a good matinee, fun action movie. No surprises. No real like standout performances, but I like the look of it. And it was just a good, fun superhero movie. The the guy who played Hal Jordan was not as douchey and Dane Cook like as I feared, so that was a that was good. I have zero investment in the character, so I didn't know if they screwed anything up. So yeah, I thought by the by the end of it when there was like a too brief superhero fight in a city it was pretty neat, though. There was like, um, you know, him getting tossed around into cars and stuff looked pre- pretty neat. And s- there were a lot of scenes that reminded me of being very Superman-like, you know, of mm-hmm. a fight in a city. And uh, I thought I thought they handled it really, really well. I thought, you know, it was a little simplistic, like the the mad scientist guy. His whole motivation is the whole like, you know, dad liked you better syndrome. And but he was really the best thing about the movie. He was uh, he was the most interesting character in the movie for sure, you know, that what the least Are you talking Hector Hammond? Yeah, he he was really the standout for the movie for me because I felt for him. He, and I think he was really the strongest thespian in the movie. So he kind of shined above all else. Yeah, well, he had he had the me- he had the meaty part. He had he got all the like, you know, he gets to play like the grotesque bad guy with a big deformed head who's really smart and evil. It's just way more interesting. You know, Hal Jordan. You know, uh, ever, you know, I mean, from the as soon as they did the little flashback of of his father biting the dust, you knew what his whole story was and wh- where it was going. His whole story arc is pretty. Everybody's story arc is pretty cut and dried, but I'd, he's the I'd most like to... interesting character. You know, he's the most interesting to watch. Except when Green Lantern's Green Lantern out, that's pretty awesome. I'd like to point out that um, to all the people that maybe never read Emerald Dawn back in the or whenever, but it came out in 1990. The whole Hal Jordan's dad dying thing was from Emerald Dawn. Jeff Johns did not come up with that. So if your only experience with Green Lantern's origin is Secret Origin, that's not his. Right. That was a really cool thing that was introduced by uh, Keith Giffen and James Owsley, who is now known as Christopher Priest. Right. I liked the movie. I liked it, too. uh, it was a fun. I, I think I got to agree with you. It was a fun superhero film. Uh, it was very much a DC movie too, which is exactly what it needed to be. Uh, the main problem I had with the film was that Ryan Reynolds has two acting modes. He has smarmy guy who's kind of funny, or I'm gonna have a hangdog expression on yes. my face and look sad. Yes when things aren't going my way and I'm sorry uh, Hal Jordan uh, and a good friend of mine named Kevin Cushing pointed this out Hal Jordan kind of does need to stand up and be the ass kicker you know at some point and I never really got even at the end I never got the sense that he assumed the hero's role 
Uh, but everything on Oa was fantastic. Yeah, it was God, it was they... very CG, but for for once, like the the weird CG ness of it really worked for it. I I didn't have to have it be you know I mean come on it's the the whole concept of it is the concept of it. I don't need it to be realistic because there's no way to frame that in realism anyway. So it was neat. I love the colors. You know the strong use of colors because that's just a that's a theme of green lantern and the different colors standing for different things and the whole movie especially you know when you're when you're on the alien planet you know everything is just like either black or a glowing color and i i like that i like that whole look it was almost video gamey but it worked um i thought there could have been more of the other green lanterns like the guy who was training him and I wish they hadn't get. I, why do they always give the big guy who's a trainer? Why do they always give him a big black guy's voice? <laughs> you know, why can't they once give him a voice just like, "Hey, how's it going?" You know, just to <laughs> just to be because, like, I think you were talking about and when we were talking about um, Thor and um, and X Men, um, they do address in here, like, why are all these aliens, you know, this alien was bipedal, you know, that's weird, you know, why should that be? And, you know, that I thought that was pretty neat. So why did the, you know, why did the alien, you know, that looks like, he doesn't look like a big black guy, he's just a big beetle looking sort of thing, but they have to give him the like. And he's also not only got the big black guy voice, but they don't even give him the James Earl Jones Thing. They give him a slight little ghetto, you know, twang to his voice, you know. I don't know. Michael Clark Duncan has a good quality to his voice, though. Oh, yeah. He's got a nice, deep voice. But it's... Which character are you talking about? Kilowog. Oh, okay. Yeah, and 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 I, I, I was just hoping that it would... I, I'm always... Uh, like, stereotyped voice things, not stereotyped as in racial, racial stereotypes, but just like, I, like when... I, it always used to drive me nuts, like the old Tarzan cartoons we used to watch on, on you know, um, CBS would have, you know, the guy's voice was just a generic, ha, unk Nakima, you know, and was, <laughs> you know, this generic guy's voice. And if it was a young boy, he had a, the generic young voice. And if he was a huge guy, he had the big black guy voice, you know. So, But that was only a minor little quibble. At the, at the begin, like the first half of the movie, I was like, and eh, this is okay, but I'm not really getting into it. But by the time, I like, like I said, I have no investment in in that character. I don't know much about it, you know. Besides, like when I was a kid and I read Secret Origins of Superheroes, like the old school stuff. So, but even then, when he was, um, and I've noticed a lot of people said that that it was like it's really, you know, like kind. Of, the second time he says the oath, when he's um, what what is it? Praxis or parallax? Parallax. Parallax. Yeah. When he's fighting parallax, and and you know he gets to the end of the oath, I was like, yeah, yeah, kick his ass. I like the oath, you know. So, I mean, it was it was it was working for me. You know, the the things that were that were pushing the buttons for the people who knew what was going on were sort of pushing the buttons for me too. So that's a good. It's I think I think it, it's a good. Like I think a sequel to this movie could be re- a far better movie, you know, if they if they did a good job on it. 
I really loved the fact that it when Green Lantern makes his first Earth public appearance, it's a it's it's a serious superhero first appearance situation. Yeah, he saves yeah, the day. It's a, he saves the day. You know, so, something happens and he has to run off. Uh, the the neat thing that I liked about his costume was that it was constantly, light was constantly going through it. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, like on his mask, you would see these little lines of light. Uh, I really, I really dug that. I enjoyed the hell out of the film. Rachel uh, actually wanted to go see it on her birthday uh, or the day before her birthday. So we, we went out to dinner and then went to see Green Lantern on her birthday. So I got, I kind of got a present too. I don't see how if you go and pay to see a, uh, matinee of this movie how you could unless you were a hardcore Green Lantern purist and then I don't know either if it would disappoint you but you could probably find stuff to hate about it but I just don't think you can go wrong with it you know as as, as something like that it was it's just a solid super I, I'm I'm digging where superhero movies are going and it's all gonna get tossed in the shitter when Superman and, and uh, Batman make their make their next appearances i'm afraid because right now i'm pretty like actually superhero movies are delivering what i would want superhero comics to deliver so i'm i'm pleased with that i i don't you know want that much you know somber unless it's a yeah i'm I'm not happy. I'm not happy about the future. Are you falling asleep? No, I'm not. I'm drinking. I'm drinking. Rip it. I'm just. It just. It just. I, it, it takes the words out of my mouth. You know. I mean, it's like it's going so good. You know. Ever since sort of the Hulk. You know. The the Incredible Are you still Hulk. putting a little? Are you putting like a cap full of drain cleaner in there too? Because I I told you you need to stop doing that. Well, I I I somebody told me that was bad for me and that you have to put a little Clorox in there too to to counteract it. So I've been trying that. God, it reminds me of the time working. my friend Gray. Reminds me of the time my friend Greg Chambers. Somebody asked him how to cut heroin, so he uh, <laughs> so he told them to use bleach. <laughs> no. And uh, he never saw that guy again, no. so I'm not really sure what happened. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, I, I mean, I understand, like, telling someone to cut their coke with some sneezing powder or something like that. You know? <laughs> he didn't like this guy, so... It yeah, was, uh, I guess it was, not. It was, <laughs> it was a pretty calculated move on his part. Did you have anything else uh, comic-related this month? No, that's... That's, so I mean, you would recommend? Uh, I would the, recommend the it if wow. you're if you're on the. I it definitely does not deserve the Rotten Tomatoes um, rating that it's gotten. I I think maybe because it's not like the Marvel ones. It isn't like the Marvel ones. It it swears more. I noticed too. There's more swearing in it. They say asshole a lot in it. But, um, yeah, at the very beginning of the film. There's a bunch of assholes in it. Oh, it, but um, <laughs> it does. It it, do, it It's like what twenty three percent on the tomato meter, and there's it's not wow. an awful. Yeah, it's not that awful. Even if you think it's an awful movie, it's not that awful of a movie. There's a, you know, there's there's it's not a masterpiece, but there's a bit of heart behind it. You know, it's got a little bit of heart behind it. And it's got some energy to it. It's not too long. It it whips right along. It, it it doesn't take it in any directions that you can't predict, 
But at the same time, what are you going to see a superhero movie for anyway? You know? Right. Or, you know, a Green Lantern type superhero movie right. anyway. I think it delivers exactly what you want for it. And, and I would be very open to a sequel. I think a sequel, now that you've got the origin out of the way, would would work and you know the 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 sort of fake struggle of like i have fear i'm not supposed to have fear you must conquer your fear and then i will have sex with you oh okay you know the the and the you know the the woman who i always knew that you had it whatever it's the same story arc <laughs> every every time you, you you know it's it's well-worn territory and it and it could have sucked i and i i enjoyed it Cool. I didn't want to. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I got nothing to. I got nothing for that one. I'm I'm. Haven't I'm, seen uh, it yet. I'm, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I haven't seen it, and I'm I'm boycotting it. So oh. yeah, I'll just leave oh, it at that. Oh my! Have no in Have oh, no dear. interest. So you're boycotting it out of indifference? I mean, it's not like one of these. You know, like I'm out in front. <laughs> Should of Should I boycott everything fucking... I'm indifferent to? <laughs> <laughs> Are we starting like a new out movement? Out of the theater with a with a picket sign or anything. It's just I don't know. My problem. I I couldn't help but snicker when it came out and and started to get horrible reviews and it, and it kind of according to DC it kind of bombed. You know I I had to snicker because they're acting like oh my god you know why why isn't it doing it? it's to me it's no mystery. I mean you you chose to make the main character a guy that hasn't been Green Lantern to an entire generation of people. I mean, most younger people these days identify with, you know, at, at least two other people that have been Green Lantern, which is either Kyle Rayner or um, John Stewart, who was the Green Lantern on all of the animated stuff. So, you know, they they went with the quote unquote classic Hal Jordan, who's boring as a piece of toast, and it's like, you know, and then they're scratching their heads, wondering why it didn't do better, and it's like, I, to me, it's no mystery. You know, you you didn't go with. The character that it's you know, it's odd because I would I would identify with I would have expected you to have uh, been sort of into them using when, well maybe not if you didn't like the character but I never you know. liked how Jordan he's boring okay. so yeah and that that explains Brian Reynolds could not call his dog and make me believe it he's just a hor I just I won't say horrible but he's just he's a you know at the same time Brian Reynolds could do what. He's he's at, you know he's out with this movie which is supposed to be a, a a serious superhero movie and everything, and at the same time that's out there's another movie with him that's another one of these stupid comedies he's you know yucking it up in the trailers for that and it it just I think it I think that also adversely affected the Green Lantern because the the trailers for that already looked like he might not be taking it very seriously. Well, he was one of the things that I was the when I saw that I was like oh this guy is like a second rate Dane Cook and I hate Dane Cook. So it's like no, it? but he wasn't he wasn't at all in the movie. It was you a pleasant that surprise. Name out before. Who is that? Who's He's Dan, a I don't know. Shitty douchebag douche comedian. Mm. He has a he's lot a, of energy and he runs around and he's got he's two days stubble on his is. Yes, he steals other people's materials and he's just he's just smug and lame and but people love him to a certain segment of people but he's a big douchebag and he had a few he had a few movie roles a few times but you know he was like a fourth rate um uh what's his name will ferrell from saturday night live he didn't have you know will ferrell was only able to ride that so long for too much and and 
Dane Cook couldn't even do the man boy thing as well. So he was just, yeah, he's a douchebag. <laughs> yeah, he, he's pretty much the definition of douchebag. That's, that's that's what. Yeah, if you ask a scientist, they will point. They'll they'll take off their <laughs> well, goggles. Well, we figured and, it out. Yeah, and they'll take you over to the chalkboard and they'll show you a picture of Dane Cook. And, the uh, the thing about Ryan Reynolds is that he is a good comedic actor, and I really liked him in Blade Trinity, uh, but he was playing a kind of smart ass character, so it worked out well for him. You know, I'll, I'll I'll go see him in movies, and I thought he did better than I thought he was going to, but he would never have been. He would have been my first choice for Wally West. I thought he was going to be smarmier and more like Tony Stark like. And and his character it was kind of a smart ass, but he was still he you know, they gave him the sort of fake tortured aspect of it to him. Yeah, he did like you said, he was either smarmy or hangdog. But I think in the in the reality of this movie, it worked. It worked. I didn't really expect it to, but Hmm. I have not seen any of the movies this guy's in, so I guess that's why I don't know him. Huh. Huh. What do you got, uh, Mike? What do you would you bring for coming monthly Monday this? this I've got month? some stuff. I I I got an eBay purchase recently on eBay. Thanks to my good friend Garrett Garrett Eisen. Uh, back when I was in the sixth grade, there was a book in the Shoemaker Elementary Library. Uh, it was a collection of Incredible Hulk comics, and uh, full color had uh, little introductions every once in a while. I read the hell out of the book. It's got a beautiful cover of Bruce Banner turning into the Hulk. And a couple years ago, I I was like, you know what? I've got the two Superman from the 30s to the 70s and Batman from the 30s to the 70s. Damn it, I need that. So I would look at it at comic shows and on eBay, but it was always like really freaking expensive. Like $100 range expensive. Uh, it was put out by Fireside Press. Yes. Yeah. And my friend Garrett one good. night pop, pops up on eBay, uh, pops up on Facebook and says, hey, check this out. I got this thing with free shipping for $12. Yeah. Damn, dude. It's a soft cover. It's not in perfect condition, but it's in good condition for being as old as it is. Um, so, yeah, I was sure. I am really excited to have this because I love this book. Um, I was at a comic show the other day and managed to score nicer copies of Untold Legends of the Batman for $2 a piece. So that was 6 bucks, well spent. I also could What are you going to do with your other copies? I'm going to give them to you, Scott. <laughs> You're all right. You know that? Um, yeah, give them to Scott. Everybody else gives everything else to Scott. Oh... That's true too. You know, yeah. I was Did you gonna... just follow the herpes line with that. <laughs> I just want I just want everyone to be on the same page with what just happened. To you, you know, I, I was gonna save this for for a Star Wars monthly Monday because once again, I, I I got something awesome in the mail the other day, and I, I will I will save that reveal for a Star Wars monthly Monday. But it, it, Chris is Chris is absolutely right when when it comes to two true freaks. We get a lot of awesome shit in the mail. And when I say we, I really mean myself. I got a candy bar. Chris, I got a rock. 
exactly. Chris really doesn't get Not shit. to downplay what I do get because I'm very thankful to the people who do throw me scraps, you know, the like you know, the shit shit the dogs and and cheesy syntho music. I honestly love that shit, you know. But you know, it's like It's it's true. Scott, yeah. I had an extra copy of Action Number 1. I actually I had a couple of them here. <laughs> I don't think Chris would like that. I would be happy for you, you fucking bastard, but. You know. I'm sorry, Mike, continue. Sorry. Um, the one thing I saw at the show that I couldn't afford to get because I had limited funds this time out, but it was only $50. It was a copy of Shazam from the 40s to the 70s. Oh, yeah. And I need one of those like you wouldn't believe. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was not to be. Uh, other things I will recommend. I have been reading The Batcave Companion by Michael Urie and Michael Cronenberg from Tomorrow's Press. Uh, Tomorrow's has put out a series of companion books. They have The Krypton Companion... The Flash Companion, written by my friend Keith Dallas. Uh, the Justice League Companion. They have four All-Star Companions, uh, which Scott recently got Volume 2 of. Um, the Blue Beetle yeah. Companion. And this one is all about the Batman of the 60s and 70s. And so far, it is an amazing, amazing read. I'm just about to wrap up the 60s part of the book. Really looking forward to the interview with Denny O'Neill later on. Um, God, it had a really funny interview with Carmine Infantino, who basically, I guess at this point, doesn't care because he'll tell stories like how Frank Robbins. Once you get older, DC. why care anymore? Yeah, you know, dude, he's like a hundred years yeah, old. Most he of the people he's talking shit. about are already <laughs> dead, so. And he, you know, he's an old Italian guy. He doesn't give a rat's right, ass. He'll and put he, a horse head yeah. in their bed. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but at that sh at that same comic show though that I was talking about before uh, before I forget to say this, I found in not the best of condition the first appearance of Jason Todd for two bucks. So that was my score there. But um, the Batcave Companion, excellent book. You can find that at Tomorrow's Press or order it through Amazon.com, which mm -hmm. is how we would prefer you to do it. Mm -hmm. um, but it's got this beautiful Neil Adams cover. And I actually bought this from Neil Adams because it was the only thing at his table at Dragon Con last year that was like under 60 bucks. Because he had like all of his hardcover Batman, you know, like that three volume ba Neil Adams Batman uh, hardcover collection. Yeah, those things were like 60 to $100 a piece. Did and, you talk uh, to him at all? Uh, he gave me life advice. <laughs> See, that's the awesome that's thing nice. about Neil Was Adams is he is one of the greatest comic book artists that has ever lived. He's also batshit crazy. crazy. I, uh, oh, I want to meet him so bad. Like, what is he? <laughs> what, is, what, is, what, is, what life advice did he give you? Okay, so I walk up to him and I'm like looking around at different stuff. And he's like, yeah, hey, just look around. He's being kind of friendly. Uh, and, I, and I grab the Batcave companion. I go, I'll take this. And I, you know, give paid the, the, the pretty girl sitting next to him, who I think was either his daughter or his daughter-in-law. Um, and I'm, he's like, yeah, and I'll sign it. And he's just like, uh, you didn't want to buy anything else? I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of on un, uh, limited funds right now. 
uh, it's like, really? Why? You know, every, you know, is, you know, you, you lose your job or something. I go, well, my wife has been out of work for a while. And this is before we found out Rachel was getting her social security. So, uh, you know, the money situation was pretty bad. Um, he's like, Oh, your, your wife's disabled. And we start talking about that. And he's just like, well, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I, I, I work at a big box retail. I'm in management. Really? Why do you do that? I go, because I need the insurance. He's like, <laughs> so then he starts talking to me about insurance and the people that work for his company and how you can work, start working at any company and get them to give you insurance right away through was some, was he like, selling insurance to you? No, but he was just, he was just like, you know, he goes, never let anyone tell you anything. You know, people will lie to you, you know, and you know, you know, they say, you know, you have to wait 90 days to get the insurance. You don't have to do that. I mean, and you know, people who have left my, you know, th you know, business, they've always, you know, man, we, we managed to help them out with the insurance and help them out with the Cobra payments and all that. And I'm just like, is Neil Adams giving me life advice? <laughs> and yes, he did. He I would have said, nice I would have said, are you giving, are you pitching a job to me? Cause uh, <laughs> I'll work for you. <laughs> um, but he was very nice though. I will say that he was not a jerk. Uh, the, the only thing he said that kind of bugged me, but I kind of understand where he was coming from is I told him I loved his Superman covers from the seventies. He's mm -hmm. like, why doesn't anyone compliment my art now from what I'm drawing? Cause it's not as good. Sorry, Neil. And I looked down, and he had that because the first issue of that Batman Odyssey book had come out, yeah. and he had issue number one sitting there for twenty five dollars a piece. Yeah, Anything yeah. special about it? Nope. His that's cop. Cr that's crazy. He'll sign it for you. Well, I was gonna say it had to be autographed, right? You know. Yeah. Holy cow! So. um... But yeah, Neil Adams. Uh, I wish I would have taped the the exchange. I would kid. say I don't know if you can get them for free anymore because I haven't been to the website in a long time. But you used to be able to go to the Coast to Coast AM website and download um, MP3s of of past shows. I would say download and listen to any episode of Coast to Coast that he was ever on because I know on he was Coast on there several. Oh yeah, he's been on there several times. Ooh. Yes, listen to the ones that are, are Neil Adams giving his his view on how the universe was formed and basically how the universe operates, and you will walk away going, "That dude is seriously out of his fucking mind." It's I'd probably email him immediately and be like, "Be my best friend." This I is would. Uh, I love people I will, like that. I, I will recommend go also going to wordballoon.com because that's how I found out about his expanding earth theory. Right. Because uh, he, in the middle of telling all of these stories, just started talking about how he believes the earth, that Pangea didn't separate on its own, but that over thousands of years, the earth has been expanding. Oh. I thought you were gonna say. I thought you were gonna say he was. Well, I was thinking. I was thinking he was talking about like there's some string theory now that says that the universe is made up of a series of expanding bubbles of reality of you know and expanding light and weight. No, 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 no. the Earth is, is physically the getting Earth. bigger, is what he's saying. Yes, yes. It's like the people and who say there's a hole into the center of the Earth up in Antarctica or that's in true. The, up in the top. What? That's true. Let's move along. Okay. <laughs> That's for Freak Files. Scott's yes. been uh, there. 
um, was awesome. Last thing I want to mention, and I'm really excited about this. Marvel uh, has been really great lately about putting out in trade, thanks to Captain America getting a big budget movie coming out. Captain Who? Just a couple of, yeah, exactly. Um, they have been releasing a bunch of hardcovers and trade paperbacks of the late 90s stuff that Mark Wade did and Dan Jurgens. Uh, which I always thought was really cool, and 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 a lot of this stuff has never been traded before. Uh, Mark Wade wrote a very short run with art by uh, Ron Garney in uh, 1995, going into 96. Great. That was fantastic. Then they did Heroes Reborn. After that failed, though apparently it failed because of office politics and not sales. Right. Um, uh, yeah, after, I don't know if I buy that. After that failed, they brought Wade and Garney back. And there was an issue, issue 14 of Captain America, that was going to be like the definitive Red Skull origin done in a very dark manner. Uh, Basically, it was mostly black and white except the Red Skull where you would see his face. And at the very, very, very last minute, they pulled the issue and rewrote it. And Wade took his name off of it. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this October, when the Captain America Red Glare hardcover is released by Mark Wade and Andy Kubert uh, and Lee Weeks, when that is released, they are putting in there the original Captain America number 14. That's cool. And I am so freaking excited. I've just, I, you know, I. You know, it, it, it just, I remember being pissed off when that happened because I was buying Captain America at the time. And they're like, they pulled it? Really? What the hell? And it really wasn't a good issue after, you know, the the way they had it. So I'm really fascinated to find out, you know, what, what the big deal was. But uh, I got I to gotta give it up to Marvel. They, they have really made an effort to get a wide variety of their characters histories out in trade paperback they're not just doing like essentials and new stuff they're releasing the mark gruenwald written the captain series from captain america in one big book you know all the mark wade stuff's getting out there the dan jurgen stuff is getting out there with cap uh they're re-releasing all of jurgen's thor run which uh was pretty good from what i understand i was just gonna ask you about that um when you were done talking about cap that i i I was wondering if i had heard you right recently when you had said that you hadn't read that you need to check that out dude that's some i know how much you like dan jurgen's that's some good good stuff it's it is it's solid uh apparently he did a three-year storyline that took place in the future i was like really yep yeah, wow. Thor. Thor ascended to the throne of Asgard and became even more of a badass than he normally is. And it was pretty cool because at one point he uh, he basically came back to Earth and decided, you know what? It'd be kind of nice if I was worshipped again. And <laughs> it was great. It was it was a damn good story. I liked it a whole lot. It kind of makes so, sense. Yeah, yeah. There, a new a new. Well, it's like the Thor religion gets reinvigorated in modern day. So you actually have like modern day Thorites or whatever they were yes. called, and and you know like the modern Christian. I don't. I want to. I don't want to 
label it just Christian because I think other religions got upset too. But I remember the Christian religion definitely, you know, getting upset about the fact of, you know, it was, it was paganism, and so they were getting kind of kind of upset about it and everything. And there was a great subplot where people suddenly wanted Thursdays off because Thursday was named for Thor, and so they wanted it claimed like a religious holiday so that they could have it, you know, have it off to to worship their religion and stuff. And I mean, all these like really interesting concepts started to come out of it, and it, it was going in some really interesting places, and I, I liked where it went a lot. And uh, there was a great story, I can't remember why, why the hell it happened now, what, what the whole setup of it was, but there was something that brought... Thor into conflict with Iron Man and Captain America, but it wasn't contrived. I mean, it, it actually flowed very realistically and, and very believably. And the part where he actually had to fight them was awesome because there was a part where he actually dented Cap's shield and Cap was just like, holy shit, how are you able to do that? And then Thor's just like, duh, I'm a god, you know? And you know the power of Odin and all that, so I thought that was pretty cool. And then when uh, when Iron Man came up with his uh, his uh, anti Thor armor was pretty badass too. To see the two of them tussle was pretty cool. So yeah, I'd I'd highly recommend it because the stories are great, the art's beautiful. You'll you'll like it. That's good stuff. The la- the very last thing I'm going to mention though is recently a friend of mine put up a link to. Um, to some audio he had uploaded. It was like all of the Batman Power Records stuff and all that. But he had tracked down a bunch of other stuff. And apparently around the time the Batman series was popular, there were these two albums put out called The Further Adventures of Batman and Robin. I believe that's what they were called. And I thought when I started listening to them that they were going to be stupid kids, smulchy stuff, like worse than Power Records. Um... I was I was pleasantly surprised because <laughs> the guy narrating it is Jackson Beck. And if you don't know who Jackson Beck is, he is the guy that narrated the Adventures of Superman radio series. Oh. He's a very distinctive voice. He also did a lot of narration for G.I. Joe in the 80s. But, you know, he, uh, after after a time, if you if you've ever listened to like old episodes of the Adventures of Superman, he was the one that would like, you know, bringing you up to speed on what is going on today and just to hear him doing like something involving batman was kind of cool it had a the origin story disturbed me when the waynes were killed and it made me realize how effed up batman's origin is that you know everyone talks about it you know you say it so so blasé like Oh, his parents were gunned down before him. And then you start thinking about it. He was an eight-year-old child that watched his parents get shot dead in front of him. Right. Everything that happens afterwards makes a whole lot of sense. But this is really interesting. When they were giving the origin, this is like 1966 or so, they said, they're like, and Alfred the butler helped raise him from a young boy into manhood. Hmm. And I'm like... Wow, I thought that was just... I'm not saying Frank Miller got the idea from this, though it's entirely possible he did, but it's interesting in a time period before year one right? uh, to hear that, because it always made more sense to me that Alfred would raise Bruce instead of just showing up like, hey, I'm here, I'm moving in. Well, I remember that was one of the things that surprised you and I when we we talked about Untold Legend of the Batman was that I had forgotten... 
that pre-crisis, that wasn't usually the accepted origin, that, that Alfred wasn't always there, that he came in later. And that surprised me because I had forgotten that. So evidently that's not a modern concept after all. That's in you know some versions, like the one that you just found, Alfred was there when he was a kid. So, so uh, just, just kind of interesting. And it, w- it was actually turned out to be pretty good. Uh, the voice acting was pretty strong. It sounded, if it didn't have like the 60s Batman music behind it every once in a while, it sounds like what a 40s Batman radio series would have been. And it was really cool. I have no idea where he found this, so I cannot give a link. Uh, but uh, just really, just really neat to hear that kind of stuff. I, I I dig listening to old power records and you know, like old books on tape and stuff like that that were around when I was a little kid, uh, and when you guys were little kids too. So I know you like the Six Million Dollar Man. Yeah, power records. Guy does yeah. a good impression of Lee Majors. I'll say that. Yeah, that's true. He does. I liked all those old Power Records things. They had Planet of the Apes ones and Superman. So they had some oh, yeah. Spider-Man ones that were pretty good they had too. Spider-Man. Uh, Hulk, they had a couple. They had two different types of Hulk ones. They had the Hulk ones that were based on like the Marvel Comics Hulk, and then there were some based on the TV series that were just like abbreviated episodes of the show. Huh. And the Hulk. Comic ones, the Hulk spoke like he had bad Indian accent. <laughs> but when the Hulk would be on the the TV inspired ones, he would just go Rah! yeah, with a lot of echo. <laughs> it was just like that. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, but that's all I got for the for the for the, for the, the free for all type stuff. Cool. Free for all. Well, speaking of uh, Planet of the Apes. <laughs> speaking of Planet of the Apes, I'm going to keep pimping it. Number three came out. I dug it. The art continues to be excellent. The story's getting more and more exciting all the time. And this one had a great cliffhanger ending where it looks like I'm kind of wondering if maybe it's a red herring, but it kind of looks like maybe the uh, assassin that killed the lawgiver may have been revealed on the last page. So if it is true, it's a very interesting turn of events because it. I want to know how they're going to explain how it was this person because this person, it, it shouldn't be able to be this person. But if I tell you why, then I might, I might spoil it for you. So I can't tell you why it shouldn't be this person, but... Very good. It's, it continues to be awesome. If you consider yourself a Planet of the Apes fan, you got to be reading this book. It's excellent. It is so, so good. I had a couple of uh, of eBay scores, just a couple this time. And uh, I'm going to do it this way. I'm going to give you the, the bad news and the good news. The bad news is the first one... I was really looking forward to this. It just I, I forget how it came to my attention, but it came to my attention that, you know, you know me, I talk about this all the time. I am a huge, huge, huge John Byrne fan, especially John Byrne doing Superman. And somehow or other, it just slipped through the cracks of, of my collecting habits that there was a John Byrne Superman uh, book a while back that just kind of slipped by me and I, I didn't ever buy it and I had an opportunity to get it on eBay. And so I, I snapped it up and I won't tell you how much I paid for it. Cause I'm kind of embarrassed to say, I think I got screwed 
because I haven't finished it yet. I'm still about, I've got about, I'm, I'm probably about nine tenths of the way through it. But uh, I got it shortly after last Comics Monthly Monday, and it's taken me all this time to go through it. Frankly, it's just not very good. Um, the John Byrne art is pretty good, but it's drawn in a very cartoony Byrne style, very, very similar to his earliest days when he was doing stuff like Wheelie and the Chopper Bunch and, and Flintstones and stuff like that. So it really owes heavily back to that type of John Byrne art style. Or if you remember like when he would do the Superman parodies in um, – Mike, help me out. What was the name of that Marvel comedy magazine? What the? What the? Thank you. That was it. You remember the, the Superman parodies he did over there? Vaguely. Yeah, where, where like Superb Man fought the Fantastical Four and stuff like that. It, it's that style of art. A lot of talent on this book. It's written by Kim Howard Johnson with help from John Cleese of Monty Python fame. Whoa. Uh, drawn by John Byrne, inked by Mark Far- uh, Farmer. I mean, a lot of talent on this. It's called Superman True Brit. And it's an Elseworlds tale of instead of Superman coming to Earth and landing in a Kansas cornfield, he actually lands in, where the hell is it? It gives the name of this. Weston Supermare. I guess that's how it's, I'm probably butchering that name, but it's it's in Britain. And he's raised a very British, um, I, I guess you would say middle class. Um, you know, like he's raised by like middle class English farmers. So I think part of my problem with this book is that it's just not written for me. It's written for a very British audience, a very British sense of humor. Now, I like British humor. I'm a huge Monty Python fan. And there are a lot of Monty Python jokes in this that I was very you know pleased about. There's uh, some Ruddles jokes. Is it the Ruddles or the Rudels? Ruddles. Ruddles. A lot of Ruddles jokes. He actually saves when he becomes Superman for the first time. It's to save a couple members of the Ruddles, which I got a really big kick out of. I thought that was very funny. Some nice and and obscure Monty Python references, which I thought was pretty cool. But overall, it's just not very good. It's it's frankly, it's kind of boring, and it and it really surprised me because I really expected to love it, and I just kind of don't. I think part of the problem, though, is that I, I do take Superman pretty seriously. So a lot of this, I think they were going for a comedy homage type of thing. And a lot of it comes off as kind of insulting Superman, kind of poking a little little too much fun at Superman and, and that sort of, you know, poking holes in the, in the legend and that sort of thing. So I don't know. I guess in this instance, maybe I just don't have the right sense of humor for, for this books. But I, you- I was kind of disappointed. I thought it would be better than it would be. Have you seen, not to to cut back, but have you seen the third Planet of the Apes trailer yet? Uh, I'm not sure. There, I know that there's a long. I I think there's I a, have. There's a I long one where you see more of, of the character of um. Oh, what is it? The the ape that um, Caesar, Caesar or whatever is. Where you yeah. First, there's a lot more. You know, you see that Caesar's like. You see a lot more of the story of of how you know of what his character is going to be like. You know. And and it's, yeah, I it's, saw it's, that before Green Lantern. The last shot is like on a bridge, and there's like apes just attacking cars, and and a police horse, an ape, uh, like a big gorilla, is actually like 
grabbing a police horse, like the front flank of it, and sort of starting to wrestle with it. And it's just like, yeah, it looks. It looks good. good. It does it look really, really good. really good. Yeah. I got, I got one reservation. What's with that? that whole movie, movie, and that's James Franco. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. Everybody keeps saying that. I, I don't know what everybody's beef is with him. I actually like him a lot. I, I thought he was excellent in the Spider-Man movies. I mean, that's all I know him from is the Spider-Man movies. So maybe you know, maybe that's not. I just find James it to be very wooden. Uh, yeah, I'll uh, give you. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. So I mean, I, I mean, I have nothing against him personally. It's not like I hate the man. It's just I saw him, and I'm just like, oh, he's going to bring this whole thing down. Well, I get the feeling though that he's kind of the token big name of the movie, if you know what yeah. I mean. Like he's the only really, you know, like recognizable actor in the whole movie. I and and I don't think it's about him. Well, you know, no, I mean, well, that's the thing. Start- I'm 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 predicting they're going to say, you know. If this movie does well, all the critics will be saying, and Caesar steals the show, you know. But it's the yeah. guy who played Gollum, you know. He's a great right. body actor. And the the ape can't talk. The ape is signing and stuff in it. So right. there's, so there's, it's all going to be facial expressions. And the ape looks really cool. His facial expressions look yeah. very realistic. It looks, I monkeys kicking ass. I, oh, man. If it was monkeys yeah. fighting talking dogs, I would go there and I would be, it would be like <laughs> the end of what was that? Well, I want to say Dreamscape, but it wasn't Natalie Wood's last movie. Oh, uh, uh, Brain uh, Brainstorm. Brainstorm. Um, was it Brain? No, not yeah. Brainstorm. Um, yeah, Brainstorm. Brain? No, it's not Brainstorm, is it? Yeah. Oh, shit. Well, anyway, where the guy like tie, uh, where the guy looped the the um, the um. It is the, brainstorm. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're, where yes, the guy looped the person having sex, the orgasm part. Yeah. That would be me in a movie with like <laughs> smart monkeys battling talking dogs. Squirrel. That would just be sitting in there, like quivering. You know, they would have to. He's in a coma, but he went there very happily. Maybe I'm setting myself up for major disappointment, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say if this movie ends up sucking, I'm going to be very surprised because so far, everything I'm seeing in the in the previews and things I'm reading about it, and there was a, a thing posted online with the, I don't know, writer, director, something like somebody involved with the, with the making of it. Everything he was saying, I was just going, hell yeah, yeah, bring it on. That sounds good to me. Yep, that works. So... If it's not good, I'm going to be, I'm of course going to be disappointed, but I'm also going to be very surprised because so far it sounds like it's right up my alley. It sounds like it is, uh, you know, totally being made as a, as an homage and a continuation of the original series, which I love that, you know, I might be, yeah. And it might be the only really way that, that they, that when I saw it, I'm like, okay, this is an approach to doing a planet of the apes movie right now that I could deal with. You know, it makes sense rather than say the Tim Burton remake or or refiguring jiggering deal of it. So yeah, I'm happy. I I don't want to get on a soapbox, but you know, in this modern age of every single thing that I love and cherish and hold dear keeps getting torn down and remade and reimagined and rebooted and fucked with and fiddled with and everything else. It's so nice to have one property that you know somebody else is looking at and going you know what i love this and i want to honor it and i want to do something more with it that doesn't include you know let's reimagine it and let's cast you know keanu reeves to be in it and all this shit i like i like that so that's why i'm really hoping that it doesn't suck dude the apes started thinking 
Bill and Cornelius's uh, adventure, whatever the hell. Get your hands uh, off me, you, <laughs> you damn, damn dirty ape. ape. <laughs> <laughs> Got a couple more things real quick. All right, so the uh, Superman True Brit, kind of a dud, kind of disappointed, kind of feel like I wasted my money. However, I did not waste money on this. $4 on this one. Shipping included... I have a, uh, I would say this is probably very fine. It could almost be near mint, except it has a nasty crease in part of the uh, part of the spine. However, still an excellent book. Beautiful interiors, nice crisp, clean white pages. This is Saga of the Swamp Thing, number twenty-one, the Anatomy Lesson. Nice. Four box i finally You've been looking for that for a long time yes I have yes i have and i cannot believe cannot believe that i scored this i mean i was the only bidder on it i can't believe that nobody else bid on it because every other copy i've ever seen of this damn thing has has gone for at least twenty dollars so i was so happy to finally score a copy of this and uh and it also gets me thinking man i'm still i'd still totally be down with picking that segment yeah. of the show up so now that i've got this i'm I'm that much closer to having every issue of the uh of the alan moore stuff that we were covering so and i think if i'm not mistaken wasn't this the issue we left off on i think it was i think that was the last one we did yeah so totally down for that but i I knew you'd think that that was cool because i've been after this one for quite a while last thing and i imagine this will spawn at least a little bit of conversation between us Michael recommended me a book last time around, last Comics Monthly Monday, that I have had sitting on my bookshelf forever and a day. And frankly, if it hadn't been for for Mike's offhand comment, I probably, it would probably sit there for years. It might sit there forever and never have gotten read. But, you know, last time around, we had the subject in uh, when we were doing top five of top five, what was it, babies or something spawned from two superheroes or whatever the hell the subject was. And I had mentioned the Hulk baby and my disappointment with, you know, the the old storyline, you know, from the Peter David era where the, you know, the Hulk's wife actually was pregnant. And it never really panned out within the series itself. And then Mike said, well, you know, have you ever read What Savage Beast? You know, the novel by Peter David. And I was like, no, I've got it, but I've never read it. Had no idea that that's pretty much what that book is about. I I had no idea. I just figured it was just, you know, just a Hulk story. So, you know, on on Michael's suggestion, I dug it off the the bookshelf, started paging through it. The next thing I know, I was done. This is a fucking awesome read. I loved it. I thought it was a really, really good book, a really solid read. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, thank you, Michael, for recommending this to me because uh, I really, really dug it a lot. And now it's put me on a, a Peter David kick where now I've, I've decided that I liked it so much. And I really have always liked Peter David's writing style so much that I went right on to uh, now I've started the... Uh, the Star Trek New Frontier series, and I'm three books into that. So, uh, yeah, definitely. You're welcome. David Kick at the moment. However, here's the thing, and I'm not sure how much, how, how spoilery we want to go on this, but you get to that one chapter, and it's fairly early in the book. I want to say it's maybe, maybe a third of the way into the book where the villain of the piece shows up. 
I just before it was revealed who the villain was, I started to suspect who it might be. I had a strong suspicion of who the the big bad guy was going to be. And it turned out to be who I thought it was going to be. And I don't know if we want to reveal that or not. I, I, I mean, you know, this book's been out for quite a while, so I don't know how spoilery we want to get on this. I had never read the the story that that character came out of. I, I'd heard of it. I knew a lot about it without having ever read it, but I'd never actually read the, the book itself. So then I had to kind of stop in the middle of this book and go and read that story. I hate to say it, I didn't like it. I didn't like I That's why I'd never read it, as I suspected I wouldn't like it. The art's beautiful. It's not a bad story. just wasn't my thing. I just didn't get it at all. So that was really my only problem with this, was that I was really loving this book and really digging it right up until the, it revealed who the villain was. And then it, it goes off on this whole thing where it goes, you know, the, the Hulk has to pursue the villain into that villain's uh, natural habitat so to speak and, and chase him down that i enjoyed all of that but i kind of wish it had gone a different direction was my only thing um lastly again and damn it's hard to talk about this without being spoilerific but um i guess the best way to just put it is to just say it you know brett's not dead at the end of this story so why do they treat him like he is that was because he's lost to them. He's lost into the something. Yeah, but why wouldn't Banner just try again? I mean, you know, all Back to the Future style. You know, just go back and try again. Because that, as soon as he got there and he realized that the infant that he went after was not where he wound up. You know, that, that the infant was now a good, what, 20 years older. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. That's the point to me where I was like, wait a minute, why is he continuing on his mission? Why doesn't he just go back along his his lifeline and and start over again? I didn't quite understand that. You know what I mean? I can see that. I uh, I love that book. I uh, I love that book so much. It got me through a very very bad time in my life. Mm-hmm. Because uh, I just discovered it. I read it in a day and a half. I just absorbed it. And then I read it again. It's one of the first books that I've ever read. Stopped, read, got to the end of. Turned all the way back to the beginning just to read it again. Uh, it is. It has just about every element of Peter David's run on the Hulk that I love. It has Doc Samson. Yeah. Badass throughout the entire yeah. Um I'm going to completely disagree with you. I love Future Imperfect. Uh, which is a story that you had to stop and read. Right. I'm surprised you don't like that because it's got Perez art. See, I, I love the art. I even enjoyed this. My, here's my basic problem is that uh, the maestro. If he was just simply called the Hulk in that story, I don't think I would have that many problems with it. Other than that I'm kind of tired of every dystopian future looking like the road warrior i'm really kind of tired of that by now that's not so much Uh, i'm sorry especially since it's after a nuclear holocaust and it should be nuclear winter not a desert wasteland right yeah and i mean that's not so much a criticism of that specific story is just that genre i'm really fucking tired of it by now you know what i mean so but Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not knocking this book at all. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. It was just one of those kind of like, 
you know, if you were reading a great, I don't know, say, Star Trek book, you know, and you're really into it and you're like, damn, this is a fucking great book. And then the villain of the piece is revealed and it's Trelane. You'd be like, oh, that kind of sucks. That's kind of how it was with Why this. Why did we go back to the gangster world? This right. doesn't it, make any sense. Right. It, and I'm not saying it ruined the book. It's just when I realized, oh, shit, this is going to turn out to be the maestro, isn't it? And then it does. I was kind of like, fuck. Because for two things. For one, I just I don't like that character. But then it also meant that in order to follow the story, I was going to have to go read Future Imperfect, which I'd managed for, like, what, 20 years or something to put off ever reading. So then I was forced to go read it so that I could follow the story. And so it that was, I mean, like I say, I'm not knocking it. I really did enjoy the book. And I'm not even knocking the thing with Brett. It was just one of those things. You know, this, this story, since we've spoiled so much of it, I'll just spoil this. The story involves time travel. And the Hulk and, and his wife have a, have a new baby. And... Like, literally, as soon as the child is born, the maestro shows up. Now, the maestro is the Hulk of the future. And so the, the maestro shows up, steals the baby, splits back through time. So Banner, you know, the Hulk, has to chase after the maestro through time. But when he gets to where the maestro is, it's not the right time. He's actually jumped 20 years too far. So now he's actually continuing to pursue his child, even though the child is a 20-year-old. That's the point of the story where, I, again, I'm not knocking it, but it was just kind of one of these things where if it was me, if I was in that situation, I'd have gone back along the lifeline that, that Doc Strange had thrown him to get back to his own time and just gone, well, fuck this, I'll go back and try again. Because why would he want a 20-year-old? If he came home with Brett, 20 years old and presented him to Betty, I think that Betty would be kind of pissed. She wanted her baby to cuddle. You know what I mean? She didn't want a 20-year-old monster. Well, let's be fair. She didn't want the baby to cuddle because she thought about what his strength could do to her nipples. And, uh, <laughs> That's true, too. Yeah, that was actually in there. Yeah, you're right. Um, the strength of the book, though, <laughs> is the relationship between Betty and Bruce. Right. Uh, because partway into the book, he is cured by this guy named Dr. Amos Trotter. Right. And they have this whole sequence of them living in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, which was literally 20 minutes from where I lived at the time that I read the book. Right. So that was kind of cool. And there's this whole thing, you know, they've developed this whole life, but through it all, this uh, Matt Talbot, I think his name is, who is the nephew of Glenn Talbot, shows up and wants to go kill him a Hulk. Right, that I liked a lot. And the confrontation after he's cured between Banner and Talbot, it was, I rarely do it, it was a fist-pumping-in-the-air freaking moment because mm-hmm. it was a Hulk-out to beat all freaking Hulk-outs. Mm-hmm. It was beautiful. And just the whole... I just love Peter David's take on the Hulk, especially when he merged everybody. Right. And just and just his his dialogue and the go to hell attitude he had. Um just just great. And uh there's references to the TV show because uh when Spetty goes into labor, there's all this press around what's going on and uh this reporter named McGee shows up and Doc Strange gives him gallstones <laughs> or kidney stones. Ooh. 
Well, I just know that, you know, when, when you and I, way back when, I'm trying to remember where was that? It must have been back to the bins. You and I did the, the John Byrne run of the Hulk. Where was that? was on Back to the Bins, right? Yes, it was. And, you know, that's the precursor to um, the Peter David. So, you know, I mean, there's a gap in there where another writer came in. But basically, that was kind of the setup for where Peter David came in was, was that John Byrne stuff. And when we finished that and that was it, I, I was kind of sad because I kind of wanted to continue on with that in-betweener period because some of that stuff I haven't read. But I had read all of the Peter David run from where he starts the book all the way up through to where um, it was revealed that Betty had miscarried the baby. And that's when I stopped. So there's a lot of that stuff. I would say, you know, 99.9% of everything that came after that one filler issue, I've never read. I, I really don't know. And that's a, the bulk of David's run is the post that issue. So I, I kind of regretted that we had stopped, even though, you know, we had decided it together. And I know that you were uh, at one point was were planning to do something with a with a Hulk cast and all and that, you know, and that fell through for you know personal reasons or what. But I'd just like to throw it back out there again that if you ever want to pick that stuff up and, and cover it, you know, together, I'm still game. I would really like to do that at some point, whether it's here on, on Comics Monthly Monday or back to the bins or wherever. If we could ever squeeze in some time to cover that stuff, you know, here or there, you know, in, in you know, issue by issue or, you know, a few issues at a, however you want to, you know, storylines, whatever, I'd be game. I really would because I'd like to both re-examine the stuff I've already read and discover the stuff that I haven't. Because the only reason I stopped reading that book, despite how much I was enjoying it at the time, was that, that disappointing filler issue where, you know, they, they just kind of offhandedly said oh yeah she miscarried that baby months ago didn't we tell you kind of thing and i was like fuck this book and i dropped it yeah they uh peter david refused to write that issue yeah that's yeah i remember hearing that at the time but it didn't it didn't um it didn't soften the blow you know what i mean even though i wasn't mad at him because i knew he hadn't done it i was mad at marvel i was mad at the book i was like damn it so i just walked away from it and, you know, you, you and other people have told me that as awesome as the stuff was that came before that I liked so much that a lot of the, his, the, his best stuff on the Hulk actually comes after that. So, again, you know, I've got a lot of it, just haven't read it, you know, so I, I would like to. I'd like to get to it eventually. So it's a long-winded way of saying if you ever want to pick that idea back up again, I'm totally game. I, I could I could be down for that. But anyway, thank you for the suggestion on this. Book. Oh, very good. I'm glad I really, you liked it. I did. I it's really enjoyed book. it a lot. I would love to see a sequel. I would love to see where, you know, maybe Banner gets to thinking to himself that, you know, Brett's not dead. Maybe there would be a way to to dive back into the time stream, so to speak, to, to see if he could find him or something like that. I'd like to see that character picked back up, especially since... You know, I'm I'm not up on current Hulk by any means, but aren't there already a couple of sons of Hulk running around in current comics? Yeah, and he's not one of them, right? No. Yeah, that sucks. That sucks because yes, I like this. Does. I like this character. I thought he was a really interesting character. But that's all I got. Do we want to uh, do we want to dive into top five or do we want to take a little break first? I say we take a little break and then uh, come back with the. Uh rest of our show yes all right 
return to the far-flung future of 1969 with another thrilling adventure of Commander Scott Gardner and his flying freaks. Scott Gardner and the Fire Hussies from the center of the Earth. On an exploratory flight over the North Pole, Commander Gardner discovers a hole leading to the center of the Earth. I have found a hole leading to the center of the Earth. Commander Gardner and his Flying Freak Brigade embark on a mission to the land of the Hollow Earth, Hussilvania, ruled by the seductive Queen Popo. Explosions! Robots! Giant rocks! Cape-clenching excitement! Will the evil Queen Popo drain Scott Gardner of his vital essence? You fire hussies will not steal my vital essence! Along for the adventure, Scott Gardner's trusty sidekick, Pablo! Us, Mr. Gardner, there's only one man with a blimp like that. Space Hitler. Look out! Will Space Hitler capture the secret weapon of the Hustlevanians before Commander Gardner can stop him? Laugh at the hijinks of the drunken ship's cook, Maury Clawhammer. Aw, oh, Jesus Christ, I ain't going in no goddamn hole in the ground. An adventure in 74 15-minute installments. Can your heart take the excitement? Can your mind expand enough to comprehend the storyline? Will you fork over your hard-earned money to see? Scott Gardner and the Fire Hussies from the center of the Earth. Filmed in the Monzo Vision. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron.
The Tales of the Justice Society of America, every Friday at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Some ice cream cakes that only Carvel makes. They're made fresh every day, cause that's the Carvel way. And while you're at the store, see Cookie Puss and more. And don't forget about Hug Me the Bear. The friendliest bear. Your participating Carvel dealer also has Hug Me the Bear and Cookie Puss dolls. You'll love them. Thank you. Hey everyone, faithful friend and acolyte of the two true freaks and gallant co-host of the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, Hair Metal Hero here. Are you like me? Well, obviously you aren't as awesome as me in my mellifluous singing voice, but that's forgivable. Moving on, do you like to attend cons? Of course you do. I mean, I don't. But that's only because if I want to be seriously depressed and grossed out, I just stand naked in front of a full-length mirror. Ladies, call me. But if you do attend cons, you know what the biggest downside is? No, it's not the registration line, or the mobs of people, or the insane markup on bootlegs of the Star Wars Holiday Special. It's the dreaded con funk. Yeah, that's right. It's that one-of-a-kind pungent aroma that smells like stale piss, rotten Doritos, and days upon days of mouth-breathing, eyeball-licking, basement-dwelling nerd B.O. Well, I'm here to tell you that help is on the way from none other than all the hard-working scientists here at DiManzo Corp Advanced Olfactory Labs, deep below the bowels of Milan, Italy. Dufo has graciously provided a sizable grant for scent research in the brave hope that one day he can finally attend a big show, incognito of course, without having to continuously retch and gasp. And let me tell you folks, this shit works. What is it you ask? Why it's none other than Con Funk Soap. Yes, that's right. Con Funk Soap contains copious amounts of bleach, rose petal extract, and the dried up essence of the tears of the unborn. That's where the power lies. It's guaranteed to make the average congoer who smells like a flowering anus go from repugnant to tolerable. Just slather it on and let it soak in, rinse, and repeat. Don't forget to get your grundles and fupas some extra attention. Hey, no one is saying don't attend the cons, but now you don't have to smell like you do. That's Con Funk Soap, another fine product from DeManzacorp. Con Funk Soap, it's the least you can do. DeManzacorp of Milan, Italy takes no legal responsibility for allergic reaction to baby tears. I have come here to chew bubble gum and blow bubbles. All out of bubble gum. And Bubbles already left. I was just going to say, Bubbles went to the zoo after Michael Jackson. (laughs) (laughs) Just making myself a Tom Palmer. Oh. I've got half and half. Yeah, euphemism oh, yeah. for, for that sounds like a euphemism for masturbation, actually. <laughs> nah, I got that would be a Harry Palmer. I got <laughs> Harry Palmer. I got a uh, I got half and half, which is uh, half iced tea, half lemonade, and then I'm adding uh, Mountain Whiz to it here. So, who wants to bring it back in? I'll do it. Do it. Do it, do oh. it. Oh, I'm sorry. I started doing it. Do it, do it. Pick your nose. And then you do started it, do it. doing it over me. <laughs> Scott Gardner and the Fire Maidens from the center of the earth. 
Right. Hello and welcome back to Comics Monthly Monday number 32. I'm Chris Honeywell. I'm here with Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey. Yes. And hey. now we come <laughs> and now we come to the fun part of the show. <laughs> I guess the fun Oh, you missed it. Part of that the was show. it right there. It just went by. Oh, was it? Yeah. I thought I heard like a little rush of wind there. <laughs> well, I got a fan on me cuz it's hot. It's like I, a I, sauna here in Georgia today. I wanted to kill somebody. I had an Angus burger. Go ahead. There's so there may be some wind moving around here, too. <laughs> That's so Angus burger from where? Angus from McDonald's. Burger? Those are pretty it, good. It was, yeah, but you know what? I was pissed off because it was one of those things where I went to the worst McDonald's in town, back to junk food. Every segment we'd start. I'm eating a, like, Ice cream bar too now, so suck. You know what's worse than being snack hungry? Not having any fucking snacks. Hearing someone else eat a uh, uh, strawberry shortcake um, (laughs) ice cream bar. I'm starving, dude, and there's like nothing to snack on here. Nothing. I'm starving. I'm gonna die. Those dishes of plastic, man. They're a little chewy, but they go down well. Um. Yeah, so I went to the I went to the the worst McDonald's in the world, and and I and I ordered the bacon cheese Angus burger, and it was that old that old thing where you know I expected to bite into bacon and cheese, and they'd given me the mushroom Angus burger instead, and so my first bite was just like, wait, that's not bacon, <laughs> that's fungus. Other than that, it was pretty good. It just wasn't what I I was about to say. I like their Swiss. I I could see where you would be upset, um, in all honesty, but I like a good mushroom Swiss burger. Well, it was one of those things where I sat down in front of my computer with it, and my computer was trying to hook up to the neighbor's internet, which sucks, instead of my nice, fast internet, and I was swearing at it, you son of a bitch, what the hell is wrong with you? (laughs) And then I go to reach for my burger, and then it's like, and my burger's messed up. What the hell, man? Why? Why do I have these first world problems? <laughs> I'm going to kill myself. Yeah, I got the wrong Angus burger, and I can't hook up to a fast enough internet. It was hell, man, the things I go through. You guys talk about life. You guys talk about pain. Try walking in my shoes right biting into the wrong Angus burger and having slow internet. (laughs) (laughs) You sick, twisted freaks. Anyway. Anyway. On to our agenda. Yes, we actually have something to talk about. We have a topic that was thrown at us. This was uh, given to us on our the official Comics Monthly Monday thread on the Two True Freaks forum. Go to uh, forumforgeeks.com, find the Two True Freaks forum. You can submit your own suggestions, your own ideas for what we should do on future top fives. This one was given to us by forum member Dan North. He says, uh, here's a possible top five for the show. Your top five favorite artists on your favorite comic book character. And he starts his off, he says, my top five would be for Spider-Man and as follows. Number five, Alex Saviak. Number four, John Romita Sr. Number three, Sal Buscema. Number two, Mark Bagley. And number one, John Romita Sr. So I'm thinking that John Romita Jr. should have been in there somewhere because we got John Romita Sr. twice. I'm thinking that 
one I, of them I'm was just, a junior and one of yeah, them was a senior. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he probably meant senior for number one and junior for number four. But you know, feel you free to write know. it and yeah. correct us. Yeah, I have no idea on that one. And uh, he also submitted his writers, and I like this list as well. Uh, so top his top writers for Spider-Man are uh, number five, Peter David. Number four, Tom DeFalco. Number three, J.M. DeMatteis. Number two, Stan Lee. And I have to give a big old hell yeah for number one, Roger Stern. So, yeah, I, I like that. That was a good list. So, uh, who wants to run fi- uh, first on this top five favorite artists and writers on your favorite characters? I'll go first. Sweet. I chose Batman because Batman's mm-hmm. awesome. Writers, number five, Bill Finger. Number four, Alan Grant. Number three, Mike W. Barr. Number two, Denny O'Neill. And number one, Chuck Dixon. Wow. Yeah, Chuck Dixon's my favorite Batman writer. I, I just love the hell out of his take on Batman and Tim Drake and, and Nightwing, just just absolutely awesome. But Alan Grant did a great does a great job as well. Mike W. Barr wrote uh, Batman and the Outsiders, mm-hmm. uh, as well as I think the player on the other side. Did he also Batman write um, Batman Year Two? Yes, he did. I love that story and the follow up, which was what was the name of Full Circle? I think. Yes. Yeah, I lo- that's one of my favorite Batman stories. Now, on to the artists. Number five, Graham Nolan, uh, who had a very short run with the character, but mostly with Chuck Dixon, but I really liked his Batman. Number four, Neil Adams. Hell yeah. Number three, he had a very short run with the character, but it was awesome. Alan Davis Mm -hmm. uh, drew a short run of Detective Comics with Mike W. Barr writing, and it was just great. Uh, number two, Norm Brayfogle, who I recently heard in an interview on a comic book podcast called Sidebar. And uh, he sounds like the most down-to-earth, friendly guy you could ever talk to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also let it slip that if they had wanted to, Jim Aparo and Doug Mensch and uh, Mike Manley could have basically retired off of the the um what is it what are those called royalties of batman number 500 wow apparently it just made that much money and now it sits in 50 cent to two dollar (laughs) bits number one though number one batman artist of all time always will be as as far as i can tell jim aparo hell yeah uh just oh man i i just I've been looking at a lot of Batman covers from like the early 80s, and Jim Aparo drew most of them, and they all look great. You were making me nervous there for a minute, because you had one or two on your list that I was like, I don't know about that. But yeah, I I must wholeheartedly agree with your number one. You don't like Brayfogle? Oh, I love Brayfogle. No, I I think he's great. Yeah, he probably would. If I had to pick my top five on Batman, he may possibly make the list. Yeah, more than likely. But uh, Graham Nolan, yeah, not a name that comes to mind immediately when I think of Batman artists. And uh, who was the other one? Um, Neil Adams? No, Alan Davis. Davis. Alan Davis was the other one. No, I would agree with those. I would agree. Yeah, definitely Neil Adams. Most definitely <laughs> Neil Adams, yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I scored for three bucks a piece 
uh, Batman number 245 and Batman number 250 recently. And 245 has a great-looking story in it of... Batman has basically killed Bruce Wayne and another man has been accused of it. And uh but he can't prove that the guy didn't do it. So uh it looks so good. See, if I had to come up with a list for Batman, I'm thinking right off the top of my head, two of them that would probably nudge out somebody that's that's on the list that you did would be uh, um, Gene Colan and uh, and Don. Ooh, Newton. Yeah, I, I definitely liked both of those. Don Newton was a hell of an artist. That may change soon. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Yeah, I liked I like Don Newton a whole whole lot. But yeah, definitely. You know, uh, again, and you know, uh, Colan may not be a name that a lot of people would immediately associate with Batman, but he was there when I started. Plus, you know, also I'd have to strongly consider Pat Broderick. Again, mostly for sentimental reasons, because when I started actually subscribing and, and buying like every single issue of Batman and, and Detective, um, he was on one of the two. And I always liked his Batman a whole lot. I haven't looked back on it in a long time, though, so I might look back on it and go, nah, not so much. But at I'd the put, time, I loved it. I'd put Neil Adams at number one if I had to choose with Batman. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a tough choice, but I would go with apparel only because I, I still to this day, you know, I really liked apparel. The only the only downside for me with apparel is that toward the end of his career, um, I'm not so crazy about. But a lot of that, I'm I have to chalk up to the inkers. Age. I don't. Oh. Well, age, yeah, definitely age, but also. I don't think he was as strongly inked toward the end of his career as he was earlier on, but. Uh, I mean, the earliest Batman I can ever remember reading was uh, a chapter. Uh, it's the first or second. I, I actually think it's the second chapter of the Bat Murderer story, uh, which is a classic uh, Apero story. And that's always stuck with me that, that whenever I imagine a comic book, you know, a, a drawn Batman in my mind's eye, that's the Batman I see is Apero's Batman. So, yeah, definitely. Great list. Thank you, sir. What do you got, Chris? Well, I at first had was going to go with Star Wars. But then I thought Star Wars isn't really a character. Right. You know, but I you know, so I decided, you know, to think about it and I picked Howard the Duck. <laughs> and all my artists and writers are theoretical as far as I know, I'm pretty sure none of them have ever actually worked on Howard the Duck. But for artists, I have uh, I have Frank Miller, but definitely not as a writer, just as an artist. <laughs> um, Peter Bag, who's an underground type of guy who did hate comics, he would draw a great, hilarious, exaggerated Howard the Duck. As would J.R. Williams, another underground guy who would be draw an even more stylized Howard the Duck. Um, R. Crumb, another underground guy. Because not only would he draw a really like shady looking Howard the Duck, he would draw an awesome Beverly Switzer. That his... Fucking Howard the Duck. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, if he was a writer, it would be X-rated. Yes. Howard the Duck would be do- <laughs> would you would get to see all the things that were only hinted at in the comics and, the and my and the movie. And my last artist would be uh, John Severin. Because I just love, I, I would, I think John Severin's art would look really good with Howard the Duck. I love his style for writers. Once again, 
he was over in the artist bin, but I've got uh, Peter Bag, who would write a really funny Howard the Duck, and he always has enough social commentary in his writing, and he always has a sort of cynical, I hate, you know, what normal people like in society, um, old grumpy sort of attitude. It would fit really well with Howard the Duck. Well, I'd who, love to see who wrote and drew the uh, the Howard the Duck um, Max miniseries. Do either of you guys know? I don't remember. I didn't like it. I didn't like that art. Though, yeah, I, I heard it wasn't very good. But I, I just I have no idea who who you know was attached to it talent wise. I just know Peter it Bag actually took a crack at Spider Man once. I can't remember the name of the the Spider Man comic that he did, but it was really funny. It was probably Tangled Webs. No, no, it was, that was the. It was, was like the, a one-shot thing, and it was like the, you know, the annoying Spider-Man or something, you know. It was <laughs> it was Spider-Man being angsty in a sort of funny, sort of comic way. Um, I'd love to see Kirkman write um, Howard the Duck, because I think Kirkman could write a very funny Howard the Duck, actually. And, of course, Alan Moore, I would love to see an Alan Moore Howard the Duck. That would be probably hilarious too on a different in a different way damn and don't, don't let me forget when we get through the uh, get chris to read a goddamn superhero segment you just made me think of a, of a future suggestion when you mentioned uh, robert kirkman so uh, oh, good re- remind me of that okay um okay i said alan moore just for sheer cheese value and just because i know he's gotta have some fucked up opinions in his rattling around in his head stan lee writing Howard the Duck. I'd love to see if someone told Stanley, okay, you get to editorialize in this comic and, you know, that I, I think that I think Stanley's sort of held back some of his opinions. I have no idea what those opinions are. I just have a feeling that they're very entertaining. And finally, uh, this one might be a little scandalous, Kevin Smith. I would love to see a Kevin Smith written Howard the Duck story. I think that would be really funny, and it would probably include Jay and Silent Bob in it. <laughs> Should make me very happy with Jay and Silent Bob meeting Beverly. Would I would be, actually, I'd be, be down for that. I, I could go for that. Uh, uh, Jay and Howard, Silent Bob meet Howard the Duck. Yeah, you know, a Kevin Smith written Howard the Duck story. Yeah, yeah I, I, you, I you could see how he that. could do it. It yeah, would have absolutely. great dialogue, and you know, and all that. I could totally see that. But as far as I know, none of these people have ever had a crack at Howard the Duck. But it would be so damn late. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. You'd, it would have to be a one-shot, so you didn't have to wait for a second issue to never come out. <laughs> sort of thing. Wait for an issue to never... I like how you put that. Well, that's what happened with that Daredevil <laughs> one that you did. I said, oh, he's writing another Daredevil story, and I didn't like his first Daredevil story, but this one was like, wow, this is d- d- dark, you know. Um, it had um, Bullseye in it, and, and, you know, and then it would never... It just never finished up you know it set it all up as this really crazy bullseye story and then nothing nothing did you ever see any of the issues of howard the duck volume one when it came back and it actually picked up the old numbering and it came back for i want to say maybe two or three issues no it was horrible i have one issue i have number 32 Look it up sometime just to see the cover. It's, I mean, like, it's it's atrocious. The cover on this, I'm looking at it right now, and it says it's uh, signed on the cover by Abel 
and Coletta. I'm pretty sure that's Dusty Abel, who's actually a decent artist. I'll actually like it if that's who this is. And of course, Coletta is going to be Vinnie Coletta, but yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's really, really bad. It's embarrassing. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Vinnie Coletta, real quick, I hate to derail you. I, that same podcast, Sidebar, did an interview with Klaus Jansen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one, you guys probably want to listen to it because he talks about the Daredevil run that he inked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also talks about his career, which is just kind of fascinating. But at one point, they bring up Vinnie Coletta, and even Klaus Jansen's like, "Well, it is what it is." I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and that's crap. <laughs> From what I understand, uh, Vinnie Coletta's career involves some kind of shadiness to it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. like we, pictures we... of Stanley's wife naked with <laughs> you know a gorilla or something like that. It sounds like. We actually, we talked about this, uh, I don't know if it was last Comics Monthly Monday, but we, we did actually go into this in a recent Yeah, Comics about Monthly just Monday. how there were people who just Mob sort of had jobs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. But there's They'd get also... out of prison and, and come in and smoke cigars all day. There's yep. also the, uh, the story I heard that Frank Robbins, this is from Carmine Infantino, Frank Robbins quit D.C., went over to Marvel and lied about how much DC was paying him so that they would pay him more. <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good uh, one. See, so, I thought you were going to say he was another one that had mob connections to get a job because he's another one of those guys that... No, I'm sorry, a, Frank he, Robbins fans. I, uh, he's a bad artist. He had a he wrote great Batman stories because he wrote the Batman No One Knew uh, which is the the story I always like telling because it sounds like wrong right from the beginning because Bruce Wayne takes a bunch of disadvantaged boys camping. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like that story. I didn't realize he wrote that. Yeah, yeah, he's, he wrote a lot of really good stories. His just his his pencils just suck. It's the sad part of the Invaders is that his art kind of stinks up the joint for a lot of it. Yeah. I wonder if he wrote that story. I can never remember the name of the story, but it's the story. It's a pretty mundane, average Batman story, but at the very end of it, he goes back to, and I think this is when he was living in the Wayne penthouse and stands before a, a picture of his parents and just starts crying. And it's it's considered like one of the, the classics of 70s Batman. I wonder if he wrote that story, because I, I want to say that he did. I just can't remember what the hell the name of that story is, but it's a good one. I remember it being cited in one of those... You know, like Batman, you know, story of Batman style prose books that came out right around the time of the first Burton film. It was one of those huge, like, Tales of the Dark Knight or something, something like that. I, I forget, but I remember seeing, like, the the final uh, final page of that issue reprinted in that book. You know, where it was talking about you know the classic Batman stories and that being you know that being one of them. Anyway. I almost forgot. I haven't read my list yet. So for mine, you know, it says favorite characters. Of course, my favorite character is Superman, but I don't know if I'm really ready to uh, to definitively lay out who I feel would be the ultimate artists and, and writers on Superman. So instead, I went with another one of my uh, favorite characters who was definitely right up there with Superman when I was a kid growing up. Plastic is- Man? <laughs> no, you're close. 
I went with the pre-crisis Superboy because I was a huge Superboy fan as a kid. I've always had a real soft spot for the pre-crisis Superboy. Yeah, I know it's cheesy. Yeah, I know it's corny. I know a lot of this stuff is looked at as, as being pretty ridiculous these days. But when I was a kid, I ate Superboy stories up with a spoon. I freaking loved Superboy. I just thought he was a really cool character in a lot of his stories. While they were weird and wacky, I just I, I dug him. They, they spoke to me as a child. So anyway, top five artists on the pre-crisis Superboy. Number five, no list would be complete without Kurt Schaffenberger. I'm not a huge fan of his art, but I did like when he did Superboy. I enjoyed his Superboy stuff when I was a kid. Um, number four, Bob Brown. Not a name you hear very often. A lot of people probably were like, who? But uh, his Superboy was very unique among Superboys and Supermen because his Superboy did not have the standard superman look he didn't wear the spit curl he actually like had his hair kind of combed and kind of like in a wave to the side and didn't have the classic spit curl and it was just a very unique look for that character and and brown's run on superboy lasted for quite a while um i don't know if it led right up into superboy and the legion of superheroes but it was around that that era just prior to when the Legion came and then never left, you know, the Superboy title, and it actually became Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. So it was right in that era. But uh, the story that I probably remember best from Bob Brown was, um, I'm pulling this off the top of my head, so this might not be the right number, but I want to say it was Superboy, I think it was 158. Great story that would make your freaking head hurt trying to fit it into continuity it was a story where superboy's out flying around in outer space suddenly comes across a kryptonite encased rocket inside that rocket jor-el and lara <laughs> try to make sense of that shit it was a great story i don't know about that doesn't yeah fit in continuity but it was a good story and he was the artist on that i always really liked that one Number three, one of my top favorite artists anyway, but I really dig his uh, Superboy, is Joe Staten. Uh, he did a lot of Superboy on um, when Superboy was in Adventure Comics, late in the, you know, late in Adventure Comics' run. Um, I think he also did a Superboy story or three or four in um, when Superboy was in Superman Family for a time. Uh, but just diamond, a really dynamic stuff. Really, really top-notch Joe Staten stuff, and I really like that. Number two, this might be a bit of a cheat, only because I can't remember if he ever did any interiors, but his covers are just unmatched, and some of my all-time favorite comic book covers ever is when he was doing Superboy covers, and that's Neil Adams. That stuff just, I mean, you talk about judging a book by its cover. If you want to get me to pick up an old you know, Superboy comic or Superman comic, have it be one with a Neil Adams cover because I'm always a sucker for those. A lot of the stories inside might have frankly sucked. I mean, a lot of them did, but it was the covers that, that kept me coming back. I loved them. I mean, and some of them were completely ridiculous, like, you know, Superman goes or Superboy goes blind and is begging with like a cup with pencils in it and stuff like there. that. But they were great covers, you know? There there are two that I find disturbing. One is Superboy trapped in a prison and he's tied up with his arms 
like bound on each side and he's kind of spread eagled and you got all these prisoners standing around with kryptonite spears and I'm like oh this isn't gonna go well <laughs> uh, but the other is this great one and I bought the book just because of the cover it has like a dude hanging from a noose and Superboy and Martha coming to go Jonathan no yes yes I know the one I don't think that's a Neil Adams though I think that one's a I want to say Irv Novik, maybe? I'm not uh, sure, but I know I'm the sorry, one but still, that's a, that's a great cover. Oh, it is. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a, there's, there is a, a Neil Adams one that's very similar to that, where Jonathan Kent evidently was on a bender and plowed into a tree, and Superboy has just arrived, and he's like, Dad, no! Have you ever seen that one? Where he's like ripping the, the yep. hood off the car? That's a great cover. That one's real. And there's another one like that, too, where... Uh, it, this one's a Neil Adams cover as well, where uh, Superboy walks into the police station cradling a dead Lana Lang in his arms and said, I've just killed her or something like that. That's a good one, too. <laughs> Gee whiz. Yeah, there's a lot of them like that. They were creepy. But that's the thing about the Neil Adams Superboy covers. A lot of them were creepy. Well, there's... Neil Adams is sort of... Neil Adams I always saw as somewhere halfway, like halfway stylistic between normal standard comic art and Gene Colan. You know that Gene Colan, or I would even say uh, Bernie Wrightson. Bernie Wrightson, yeah. yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. That horror, uh, you know, he'd just be as you know with with Batman. This the same kind of art worked that worked in like the horror anthology exactly. comics yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, he was. He was. He was a beautiful bridge between, like, as you say, kind of normal quote unquote comics and the horror books. And that's why I liked him so much when he did stuff like Batman and kind of darkened it up and made it a little more edgy creepy and, and, and creepy and stuff like like Dead Man, which is, you know, is sort of superhero-y, but more owes to the horror stuff. So, yeah. yeah, definitely. But to see his creepy stuff on something as kid-friendly and harmless as Superboy added that needed edge that made you want to pick it up and, and buy it. You know, I love that. But my number one artist for uh, for pre crisis Superboy has always got to be Mike uh, Mike Grell, who uh, was the artist for so many of the uh, the seventies issues of Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes. I just fucking love his art anyway. I mean, he just couldn't draw a bad character to begin with, but there was something about his Superboy that I just have always really, really loved. I really enjoy that stuff. So that, that's the artist. As far as writers, um, number five, I had to actually, I had to do some serious homework on this because I, I it's come to my realization as we started to do things like this and, and more of these examinations that I pay much more attention to who artists are on stories than I ever do on who actually wrote the damn thing. So I had to go back and look. But, like, uh, number five, I picked uh, Bob Rosakis because he did one of my favorite uh, Superboy stories, which was back in Adventure Comics uh, 453, where uh, Superboy fought this girl. I forget what her name was. It was something like Dinah Girl or something like that. And at the end of the story, there's a big reveal that she's actually a very, very young Barbara Gordon. I always got a really uh, big kick out oh, of Oh, yeah, that. I love that one. Yeah. Carrie Bates who wrote both a lot of uh, Superboy solo stories, and then he also wrote a lot of the uh, Legion of Superheroes stuff later on. Number three, Tom DeFalco, who wrote most of the uh, Superboy stories in Superman Family, and I think he might have even written some of the ones that were in Adventure Comics too, but I forget. 
Um, number two, Paul Levitz, who's better known for the Legion stuff, but he also, you know, he was still writing Superboy, you know, when Superboy was part of Superboy and the Legion of Com you know, Superheroes before the Legion just kind of kicked Superboy out of his own book. And, of course, number one, got to be Jim Shooter. You know, you, you got to respect a guy that was, what, 13 years old and writing some of the best damn Legion of Superhero stories that still to this day have ever been. So, you know, props to him. I love that stuff. So, yeah, that's uh, that's my list on that. And it suddenly occurred to me that uh, I got nothing for a top five for next time. So uh, what do we want to throw out there? Have we had any any new suggestions? I hadn't seen anything. No, I haven't. I, not that I can recall. Do you guys have any bright ideas? I, I'm taking mm -hmm. that that's a no from you, Scott. Yeah, I mean, I given enough time, I could probably whip up something. But uh, off the top of my head, yeah, I got I got nothing. What do you got? Top five comics you thought would be awesome but turned out to be crap. Ooh, I likes. I likes. I'm going to write that down. Top five comics. I'm writing it down, you too. You thought would be awesome, but they kind of sucked. Ooh, I got a couple of really good ones right off the top of my head. <laughs> That's awesome, Mike. I like that one. We're back with the negative, but hey, I like to hang with the negative now and again. So. <laughs> I can it's definitely okay. do that one. God, it's going to be hard to restrict it to five. <laughs> I don't think of it as negative. I think of that as a common experience amongst comic yeah, no, readers. No kidding. <laughs> Well, I'll have I'll have a top five, and then I'll have an honorable mention about have about five hundred oh, on it. Well, how about this? How about to even make our job easier next month? How about the month after that we do the top five comics that we did weren't really too uh, it would suck keen on awesome. that turned out to be really good. Yeah, that, like that. I like that too. The top five that you thought were gonna suck, and then you were like, "Hey, this is actually pretty good." I thought, yeah, I thought to myself, we need something to to. To counteract Michael Bailey's negativity. Oh, <laughs> fuck you! <laughs> See, exactly, exactly. That's what those, I'm talking about. Though Scott, um, <laughs> with the books that I thought I'd like, but turned out that they would suck. I need a list of all of your favorite comics. Oh, <laughs> that's how it's gonna work. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think we're losing you, Mike. There's something. Something seems to be wrong with Skype. All of a sudden. Off to the dunk tank with you. <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh, better than man. the someday we'll do the michael bailey drunk tank that'll be how, a totally different how thing. bad was it how many times did you guys knock me into the drunk tank i mean to the <laughs> the drunk tank <laughs> <laughs> i yeah I, I i yeah that's only a couple times but it did set a precedent you just well, have to listen and find out won't you and I'm, I'm <laughs> when you have four hours and 18 minutes to spare <laughs> no kidding well i think now is our our time my time your time for my favorite segment of the episode oh Chris it's over already oh yeah right Get right right read, read a, a goddamn, goddamn superhero, superhero comic comic, comic. after all that talk about beverly switzer i'm sort of don't want to get up in front of the chalkboard right now. But. <laughs> okay. This month I had to read a Superman story called Whatever Happened to the Man of Tomorrow? Mike and Scott had mercy because I only had to read two comics this time instead of 18 million. Anyway, the first issue looked like a classic fun Superman story, but when you open it up, it is by Alan Moore, 
So you get a genocidal bizarro suicide, a dead Pete Ross in a box, and we find out all Superman's old goofy foes are now steely-eyed killers. Luther finds Brainiac's head and becomes a Brainiac puppet with a cool robot skull. Superman takes all his friends to his house in the country to protect them, even though that's the first place all the villains are going to go. Turns out, everybody knows in the future that this is Superman's last stand, so they all come to pretend not to be saying goodbye and seriously bum Superman out. Now, Brainy Luther has gra grabbed the Kryptonite Man and has Superman's mountain retreat in a force field. Long story short, Luther catches rigor mortis, Lana Lang is short-circuited, Elastic Lad gets stretched to capacity, Crypto gets a doggy crypt, Brainiac runs out of batteries, and Perry White gets laid. Then the dust, when the dust clears, it turns out that <laughs> Mr. Plitzenberg is behind all of this, and he ain't so funny looking anymore. Superman kills by zapping him to the Phantom Zone. At the same time, he tries to go back to the fifth dimension where Smokey Robinson lives. The Phantom Zone villains must have been like, Oh, snap! Superman ain't fucking around anymore. Pardon my French. Anyway. No, I think they were more like, Ew, gross! Because they got half of Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> Superman feels guilty for killing and decides to do a Superman 2 with gold kryptonite and be a beer-swilling mechanic and pump out kids with Lois now that Lana's feelings won't be hurt because she's dead. All in all, it was a good imaginary story from the far-flung future of 1997. The end. <laughs> bravo, sir. Bravo. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. I, lo I love these comics. These were, like they were good. great. Oh, I loved them. I loved it. Um, really once again, it backs up my whole my whole argument. It, it was great because I was just making that argument, and then I read it right there in front of me. Here's where you take a, a Superman story and make it. You know, people are getting there's genocide going on. It Bizarro's committing is I'm the opposite of you, and you're alive. Ugh, now I'm dead. You know, it's some dark shit. But somehow. And this is and this is an un another funny thing is when I first opened the first one I'm like yeah John Byrne you know, and I loved the art in the first one and the second one it was what Kurt Swan and who was the other artist with with Kurt Swan in the second I one? think you mean uh, when you saw the first one you, did you mean George Perez George Perez sorry George sorry Perez, it, was, yeah. it was George I, I John Byrne yeah but it yeah. was George Perez and was it Kurt Swan Kurt and Swan. George Perez in the yeah. first one. And this, who was the second one? Was it Schaffenberger or uh, Swan and Schaffenberger? Swan yes. and Schaffenberger. Yeah, the art definitely takes a step down in the. Well, in the I I liked it because it looked more sort of old school Superman-y. and Alan Moore with all this dark shit going on. It's like the cover of the first one with all the you know the six little segments of see the death of Clark Kent you know right. see Bizarro on a rampage. It looked like a classic old fun Superman comic. But it still had that feel to it, even though all this dark shit's going on, and it's you know sort of the end of, you know the end of Superman, and you're seeing it all happen, and you're like, oh shit, you know they're all coming to visit him because they know this is the end, you know, and um, but at the same time, 
it still has that feel of a fun Superman comic. You know, he goes out and he melts his key to the, you know, it's, it's, it's great. And, uh, it just, it just shows to me how many people have tried to, you know, how basically almost the whole industry now is trying to copy that, but they don't get it. You know, they don't get that Alan Moore is a super brain (laughs) and really thinks it through and I mean, when I read it, I'm like, this is just sort of Alan Moore having fun. But the more the more I read about read it, I'm like, man, he really is put. You know, how hard is it to have this sort of somber story while keeping it feeling like the old Superman? You know what I mean? Right. I, I like this Death of Superman story way better than when they did like the Death of Superman and he gets pounded into the ground. You know, type of you know, that was somebody trying to do that. Do that. M- modern sort of yeah i loved it i loved it um scott and i were talking about like how funny it is it's set in 1997 and they've got like the futuristic baby you know baby chamber and the futuristic coffee machine and all that stuff and it's just like damn that's what like 14 years ago right (laughs) we don't have none of that shit but uh and i love the ending of it i mean the ending was cheesy i sort of saw it coming I sort of saw it coming the first time her husband was like, the real superheroes are us normal guys. And she was just sort of, oh, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, a real husband of Lois Lane would probably have enough class not to be dissing Superman in front of her. Well, also, you know, Jordan, Elliot, Jor-El, you know, that that, that jumps right out at you, I think. Well, the baby's name is Jonathan, too. And it's just like, I don't want to name my kid after your old boyfriend's father. You know, that's kind of creepy, you know, so... And he kind of looked like Superman with a cheesy mustache on, <laughs> but I loved it. I loved the. I love you know. He did that. He did that. Great, like a perfect example of how he melded the two is when they mail him all the little robot Supermans. Yeah, and they they burn his they burn his Clark Kent outfit off, and they're like, "Haha, Superman!" Blah blah blah. That's totally old school comics. But opening up the the box and finding a dead Pete Ross in it is, you know. A, Jack or Pete Ross in the box is not <laughs> very old school, you know. Right. But uh, there it is in that story, and it and it still it, it works, you know. It works in exceedingly well, you know. I don't know, like listening, like if I, I see videos of Alan more talking, I'm like, oh, I don't think I could hang around this guy, but you know, he's very pretentious. God damn it, he earns that pretentiousness, just like Harlan Ellison. They're in the same league to me of. You know, nobody, you know, the people who take him seriously are the people in the genre and they treat him, they put him in that godlike status, which they've earned. But both of those guys, you know, Alan Moore would probably be at least in the Stephen King level, if not in even a higher literary regard, if he had nothing to do with comics, if he was just like a novelist, you know, that's right. That's what pisses me off. But but at the same to- at, by the same token, it's great to have somebody like that who could have gone to to writing novels. Who is just like, well, screw it. You know what? Comics are just as legitimate of a form of communication in literature as as books, and then backs it up while still making comic books. You know, he doesn't make like a comic book trying to be a novel you know or any or anything like that you know maybe with the lead, league of extraordinary gentlemen he did you know with a, and he'd like to throw words in there 
like in The Watchmen. But for the most part, he really, you know, he really loves his comics and he really knows his comics. <clears throat> and I don't know if he's just a big fan that has an encyclopedic knowledge or if he really does his homework hardcore whenever he goes to write something. But he, he, and he also is able to take things that are very cheesy out of the past that most writers wouldn't even touch, like Crypto. Well, and well, like Incest Queen and, and Elastic Lad, some of the, the goofier yeah. tropes of Silver Age Superman, and he he fully embraced them. I mean, he by by embracing that, he gave Lana Lang the ability to kill Lex Luthor. I thought that was brilliant. Just I really liked it. Snapped that. his neck and then he became a stiff neck rigor mortis zombie. I mean, that's some dark shit, you know, Lex Luthor lurching around, you know. Well, you know, I mean asking Lana Lang to kill him. I know that that Mike and I have have taken a lot of crap, you know, over time for this false perception that's been created that we're somehow down on uh, on uh, Kurt Swan, which really is not the truth at all. Yeah, and there's that great, great panel that's super fucking creepy. I think because specifically because it is Kurt Swan, where exactly act thing attached to luther's skull luther's dead and yes. you've got his eyes and his mouth kind of lolling over to the side that's super creepy if that had been oh, his neck artist, at just an unnatural angle it's something out of a stephen right. king book right if that had been like a horror artist or or somebody more suited to like steve Bissett, for example that did mm-hmm. swamp thing Mm-hmm. You, it wouldn't be quite as creepy because he already is a horror artist, but because it's somebody that's always been so light and kitty and and kind of fun, you know, fun fun superhero comics, suddenly doing something where you're looking at a dead guy, you know, yeah. it's like it really packs that extra punch. I mean, it really does hit you hard mm-hmm. with that because yeah, yeah. like, ooh, that's not something I expect to see. That's that's first... why I was sort of like, uh, uh why did they I, I would have put this art in the first book and then put the Perez in the second book. And then as I started reading it, I was digging it, you know. I was like, no, this is I like this better. I could have actually done with Kurt Swan doing both. Right. With that team doing both issues i think it would have but not to not to downplay the first one it just it just didn't have that extra layer of creepiness like you're saying right although he although it did you know it did have its moments of it like the the whole sequence with the with the robot supermans again was very looked very much like an old superman comic you know an old goofy sort of thing so yeah I, and I, I, what's fun is I'm going. Uh, I'm going to try my damnedest whenever I do my reports to make you guys not have any idea whether I really liked it or, or hated it until <laughs> until I break character at well, the see, end. See, I think you were making Mar- uh, Mike a little nervous there for a minute with the. Oh, with that's the review. yeah. I, I think I like to do that. <laughs> I think I've decided I like I like doing. I think I've done that before with. The, I think I did that was how the. Um, spider-man and and craven's the craven's last hunt when i'm gonna mock whatever you know you can give me the greatest comic in the world and i'm gonna try to mock it somehow i like this story every time i reread it and i've read it a lot of times but on every every subsequent reread 
it gets it gets better and it jumps more in, in my estimation because my initial read of it when it first came out and was brand spanking new um it disturbed me a lot i won't say i didn't like it because i did i thought it was very bold and very ballsy for both superman and dc and and kurt swan but I think because of the very nature of it, who the subject matter is and what happens in the story, it's always made me feel a little icky after I read it. You know what I mean? So um, it's just one of those ones where I I walk away from it with just, you know, because it's not a happy story, despite how it ends, you know, with the kind of, you know, Superman winking at you, a very classic Superman story ending. The, what happens over the course of the flash? <laughs> and it, you know, it's, it's classic, it's but at the same time, dark. he's going to get some nookie too. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but I do, I do enjoy it a lot. I think it's a really good story. Um, I, I have really, ultimately, only the minorest of quibbles with it. Which one thing, and this is going to be super nerd, and I apologize, but in in the second issue, page five, toward the end, where, where we're approaching the final battle, it shows that there's this giant bubble in, in encapsulating the Fortress of Solitude and keeping all of, friend, all of Superman's friends out. They're all trying to break in so that they can help him fight this final battle, but they can't break through the barrier. One of the people in that picture is Superwoman who was uh, Kirsten Wells. She was a time traveler from the future who came back through time and made friends with Superman. And uh, I remember, I, I'm not sure if it's her first appearance or not, but I always remember her very well from um, Elliot S. Megan's book, um, Miracle Monday. And in the in the conclusion to that book, when, when it's all wrapped up, he asks her, she, she basically grants him the answer to one question about the future. And his question is, will Lex and I ever become friends again? Because in this timeline, when they were boys, they were friends. Yep. And it always bothered Superman that, you know, his greatest enemy used to be his friend. So that's the question he asks her. And she says something to the effect, you know, I'm not really supposed to tell you, but she just kind of, you know, kind of smiles at him and says, yeah, one day. Well, that never happens. And it kind of bugged me because you don't lie to Superman. For one, I don't think you can because I think he's got 15 can, trillion different can. ways that he could tell that you were lying to him. Plus, I in that story, I don't think she was lying. I think that she was telling him, have faith, Superman, one day you will be friends again. So that didn't happen in this story. I know it's ridiculous and really, 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 really nitpicky geeky of me, but it still i'm sorry it's still there and it still kind of bugs me a little bit beyond that i do think it's a good story the, the like as i say the more i reread it the more i really enjoy it i do think it's a really good story i think it's a little too dark but you know it it is a beautiful send-off for this interpretation of superman for this era for for this version and uh I would well, Alan love. Moore does the typical Alan Moore where he goes, "How would this really play out?" And he was, and he was just like, you know, if you really wanted to take Superman out, you'd have to go after the people he loves, and you know, if things went from goofy to homicidal, it would change everything. And 
Right. And that's and that's what he did. So he was just, so he just he just took it to its natural. Although, I personally think Superman would have hit his friends really somewhere other than the Fortress of Solitude because I think that you know why hold it? Why take your friends to the seat? You know, it's like. I'm going to fight the Alamo. Come with me to make sure I can keep you safe, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Uh, all right. Hey, I'm Davy Crockett. Would you like to come with me to the Alamo? <laughs> what always impressed me about this, though, is that the man that's so frequently um, credited with, with, you know, creating that whole dynamic of, you know, let's write the story that, that tears down the superhero mythos and all that, you know, clearly loves this character i mean he and respects and respects yes very much yeah but at the same time despite this being a decent story though i prefer for the man who has everything uh over this any day and twice on sunday and now Uh, is that the one where he has like the some sort of parasite plant mm -hmm. on him yeah yeah that's a great that's great yeah Uh, I think that more there is a breed of comic book writer and artist and or artist that basically believes the audience should be on the same level as they are. So, well, I think superheroes are kind of silly, so I'm going to write stories where superheroes are deconstructed and shown to be kind of silly. Right. And I, I really, I really don't go for that. For a man who, who has basically made a career out of this, you know, it's amazing that he gets as much cred, street cred, as he does. I, uh, I don't hate this story, but I have problems with Superman stories where he quits, anyways. Even though there's a perfectly valid reason for him to do so in this issue. Or this story, I'm just I'm just not down with that. I think I think the last Superman story to be told should be him going off in space because he's done everything he can for Earth and he has to find a new world to help out. That maybe, would be maybe if Lana was or excuse me, Lois rather was not still part of the picture, but she's one of the, the few survivors in this story, so I don't see him abandoning her. But yeah, I will agree with you about that because ever since discovering that story in Superman one eighty seven where he clearly kills somebody and not there's no bones made about it, you know, the fact that he killed him in that story. Ever since I've read that, it makes things like this, it kind of takes the piss out of him a little bit because it's like, you know, Superman's really down on himself to the point where he willingly exposes himself to gold kryptonite and becomes, you know, just a Joe rather than Superman, you know, because of the guilt he feels. Well, what about when he blew up whatever his name was, Grog or whatever that freaky looking dude was? I mean, just because that guy was some... You know, big ass-headed alien doesn't mean that you know he wasn't people too. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, and and Mister Misselfrostberg was also mix. And, yeah, he's yes, Pitlick. <laughs> mix, yes, Pitlick. That sounds like a child molester or something, man. I don't know, but you know, I mean, he's like he's he's not even a creature of of our comprehension it would seem like even less likely to feel bad about killing him and 
And honestly, a fifth dimensional creature, even if you do sort of split him between the fifth dimension and the twilight zone, you know, and I wonder when he gets to the fifth dimension if he hears, up, up and away in my beautiful, beautiful balloon. My beautiful balloon. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, who says that he's even dead? It's a comic book, so he's probably not. So, so, but at the same point, I think this is a story about Superman re- reaching a point, uh, having to reach a point where he has to say, "My bo- his Boy Scout, the Boy Scout thing is just, it's, it's literally killing him and it's killing the people around him. I mean, he's, he has no love life because with, with Lana alive and Lois, he's so dedicated to both of them. I mean, he so badly does not want to hurt Lana's feelings by hooking up with Lois that he doesn't hook up with either of them. And they both are like totally, you know, sort of holding the, holding the torch for him. So, you know, he's, he, it's, it's, I think it was sort of like if in real life Superman existed, his moral code would run up against a, a lot of problems where he could uphold his moral code. But man, it makes, what kind of life does it give you, you know, and finally when he when he gives it all up you know after it's like you know from this point on you know it's just going to be a circle of death around superman and he becomes joe six-pack you know it's sort of it's almost like a superman in real reality growing up you know and saying okay now i'm ready to age and just be a person and have the and be able to be a person with the faults of a human and a wife and kids and you know a, a six pack job and and all that and it you know it was sort of a I don't I I don't, I, I think it works fine as an quote unquote imaginary story I love the line in the beginning when he's like but aren't they all you know, right yeah that's a great line yeah totally was, Alan Moore yeah. but uh I hate that line <laughs> it's in the dunk take with you. See, I thought you picked this because you 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 loved it, like you held it in in high regard. So you're actually suckering us because you picked it because you don't like it. No, that's not it, it at all. I oh, did not okay. say that. It doesn't I, matter. I I think it's valid if you do like it or don't like it to pick it to I, see what we think. You know, I think I that's used, very interesting. Actually, I used to not like it for a long time, but then I started kind of thinking about it and thinking about the story and seeing more of the merits in the story. Uh, I don't like the place of pretentiousness the story has amongst Superman fans. Uh, like, you know, well, you know, everyone's like, well, what are what are the greatest Superman stories? Oh, whatever happened to the Man of Tomorrow? Really, the one where he quit? I mean, he had a good, <laughs> well, he, had mean, a good re- he got a good reason, but still, in the end, Superman gives up. So that kind of doesn't sit well. And the whole, it's an imaginary story. Aren't they all? I'm sorry. I like a certain level of continuity to the stories I I read because I like getting into a fictional world. And when you upfront tell me, oh, you know, this is just an imaginary story. Imaginary story means it doesn't matter because at the end, everything's going to be, it, it never really happened in the first place. Yeah, it's like an alternate reality sort of thing. It's like, it was, it's like a Marvel what if comic, basically. So why yeah. should I give a shit at this point? So, well, it's all about the story, you know, it's all about, is this a, is this a good and enjoyable story? Uh, you shouldn't give a shit at all about it in the context of continuity and Superman at large. 
but just as a as a as the sheer experience of sitting down and reading it, I I I would think actually with this comic, it's it it, it sort of justifies itself even if you would hate it, by uh, by just like it, at least it, at least it would give your when while reading it, it gives you something to chew on, without being pure pure pretension you know it's not somebody just like i'm gonna kill all these people you know he put some thought in, he put some thought into it whereas a clumsier hand could have just been throwing bombs around and seeing who got you know who got decapitated or or whatever but see, um it, it, it's interesting that see here's the thing is that i think the what if stories are the ti- are the place for pretentiousness that's if you're gonna be right. if you're gonna hire the pretentious alan moore put him in a one-off what if comic and let him go nuts and then it doesn't matter you know the, th- the here's the thing i think is that and i i always get in trouble when i do this when i'm when i'm not true to myself and i and I, i'm not really giving my my honest opinion because i'm worried about what some listeners going to say or or what one of my co-hosts you know because you had made the comment a while my and i know you were kidding around but you had made the comment about you know everything that you love i hate you know and i'm always tearing <laughs> down things that you like so i came into this review very much thinking that this was a, a story that you held in extremely high regard so the last thing i wanted to do is come in and and, and piss in your wheaties you know um so my job cheating. it was a roast well, no sir. i know that but it, we're it's gonna, still we're gonna it, piss in your wheaties and then we're gonna dunk you in them well it, it still it, it, it did kind of bug me because i don't want you to feel that way so the last thing i wanted to do was come into this and start tearing it down but i mean i i find it interesting that you know now that you've said what you said that you feel that way because i don't consider this one of the greatest superman yeah. stories ever told for that very reason is that you know, he ultimately at the end he he does give up. It, it, I I think while I do think it is a really good story and I really enjoy it. Like I said, I walk away from this story with kind of a like an icky feeling, like I need to go take a shower. And I think it's because it's drawn by Kurt Swan, so it looks just like the same kid friendly, safe. You know, nobody's gonna get hurt. Mom's yeah. not gonna mind if I read this Superman stories that I grew up reading, and this is some seriously dark shit. Yes. You know, it really is. A lot of things happen in this that I'm not really comfortable with a child looking at. You know, Jeez. and it's and it's wrapped in a cover that does not forewarn you of any of that. You know, so you know, if you had been a kid. In 1980, what is this, five or six? 86. This is a month before Man of Steel. You know, I'm I'm sure that there had to be children in 86, you know, that were, you know, seven, eight years old that got this when, you know, their parents stopped at the 7-Eleven or something, and it could have really fucked them up. Really seriously disturbing. And it's got divorce in it and makeup sex. I thought it was uh, disturbing, and I was ten when I read it. Right, it was at a, it was at a uh, doctor's office, basically. Uh, though, do you guys get the feeling that Jimmy and Lana kind of got it on, had a little ginger sex? It could have. It's uh, it's very I possible. She, although she made him turn around, but she still got naked in the same right. room with him. Yeah. But I I do like it, but no, I I I you know I don't. It would not make my list of you know the top five greatest Superman stories ever because I you know there's certain elements that have to you know there's certain requirements that have to be met 
to make my list of the the top Superman stories, and this one doesn't doesn't meet those. He, you know? Here's another here's another reason why I have a problem with this being so lauded as like the greatest Superman stories ever told, or one of the greatest Superman stories ever told. It's because it is so often cited by people who really who aren't who are Superman fans and non Superman fans. So basically, the non-Superman fans are kind of reading it out of context, mm-hmm. and I don't think that you can claim that it's the greatest Superman story ever told, or one of them, if you haven't read a certain number of Superman stories well, that's, that's as the a thing. basis I, of comparison. That's well, my that's precise... What that's uh-huh. what I'm just thinking with myself. I'm thinking, well, this would be one of my favorite Superman stories, but then again, I have a limited, you know... I, I would have to read a lot more Superman stories to. I, I, I definitely agree with Michael that the 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 one story. What was it? The gift or the the choice or the 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 Christmas story with the parasite plant. Oh, for the man who has everything. For the yeah, man the who birthday. has everything. It's a birthday. Uh, birthday. Yeah. That's right. I knew it was some sort of gift. But I, Kwanzaa. That that one's way better than than this one. Oh, that one's, it, oh yeah, yeah. That one tugs at your heart because he gets to live the life he never had, and then it's, right. he re, he realizes in the dream. It's the Passion of the Christ with Superman. It's the end of the, or not the Passion of the Christ. Uh, la, the know, Last Temptation of Christ. Last Temptation of Christ. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But the great thing about that story is one. Alan Moore nails the Batman Robin dynamic at the very beginning of that story because Robin's basically checking out Wonder Woman's ass and Batman leans in and goes, Think clean thoughts, chum. chum yep. Chum. <laughs> but you know, he lives this whole life. It's got that great Dave Gibbons art, and then it ends with him in the crater of uh, of of Candor, you know, telling his son that he doesn't exist. Right, I don't believe in you or something. Yeah. See, that years, you know, I read that when I was still, you know, what I would consider these days to be a kid, you know, long before I could ever fathom the concept of being a father myself. And even back then, that upset me. Now, actually being the the parent, uh, you know, the, the father of two boys, yeah, when I read that, that's some powerful shit because he's... You know, he, he's betting it all on a hunch that none of this is real, yet his his heart is telling him that this child in front of him, yeah, you know, is well, flesh be, and blood. So it, it yeah, would be like if you right now just started just started noticing some little weird things in reality and going, hey, wait a minute, maybe this isn't reality, but you'd still have 43 years of... right believing that it was you know so that's where his mind was at that point you know when he was taught you know he had the whole memories of his whole life before that right. and had to go wait a minute no you know we definitely need real. To, to tackle that to story. do that one sometime yeah, yeah, i actually have that one in on in solid 3d reality form we do we definitely need to cover that one but and, you know that has one of the greatest superman has had enough oh, of it. Oh yeah. Moments. Yeah. I would say Jesus. the greatest. Oh I, you know, man. I, I do. I consider that the the ultimate, you know, you have just really screwed with the wrong guy in that right. one. Superman in that one is he's when, just manic. You know when he yells Mongol and Robin's covering his ear. Yeah. Yeah. It's 
it's like and he oh god and 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 it was the one thing about the animated version of that because justice league unlimited did that they got the intensity of the fight they screwed the pooch on him going burn right it's, it just came off very flat i'm like no that is i, I anger that whole, yeah i thought that whole episode fell a little flat and but a lot of my problems with that was that because of the nature of the continuity that they'd already established within the framework of Justice League, they couldn't fully adapt the the story as it was presented in the original. So, you know, you lacked Robin and things like that. That was a shame because I felt like that was a very important element of that story. So while I enjoyed it, yeah, it definitely lacks something vital that the original had. But it had moments because, you know, there there were things. And when we eventually do that, I would like to do both. I'd like to cut yeah, the be- comic and you know the, the 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 episode adaptation of it. But yeah, I'd totally be down with that. That's yeah. a, it's just just the artwork in that. But yeah, but see, I, you hit the nail on the head, Mike. With with you know that's the the beef that you expressed with this and and the pretentious people that point to this and go, you know, this is one of the greatest Superman. I feel the same way when people throw out things like. You know, Batman Arkham Asylum or the Batman Dark Year One or Batman Dark Knight and go, you know, this is one of the greatest Batman stories. And I always want to tell it, well, well, name three others. Name yeah. three others. If you're going to say that Batman Arkham Asylum is one of the greatest Batman stories ever written, name me three others. And yeah, they maybe, typically maybe. can't because... Or know, they're going to say the Dark Knight and... Right. Yeah, but, but see, again, the Dark Knight is about Batman's last case. Because right. at the end, he stops being Batman. Right. I mean, it, Kingdom Come's the exact same way. The entire point of Kingdom Come is we got to stop being superheroes. Highlight of the superhumanity. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's just those are good stories. I am not saying that those stories shouldn't be told. I'm not saying that those stories don't have merit. But they're just because, sort of self-contained things. Yeah. Get I mean, sing- since they are different. They stand out to the uninitiated, and they they become what the uninitiated think is like. That's I think that's what's happened to comics today. Is there's a whole generation of people who think that those sort of an, they were kind of anomalies. They were sort of like, okay, let's give this one guy a crack at doing something weird with this, and that's now assimilated itself into the normal continuity, which I don't think that works at all. You know. I, I, I think it's that, and I also think, and I'm not saying this to be to to sound elitist, because God knows Scott right. and I don't want to step into that hornet's nest again. <laughs> Holy crap! Yeah. Um, the uh, the fact is, is that a lot of new comic book readers are coming in with trade paperbacks, you know, and we're gonna get 16 emails of like, "Well, I'm a new comic reader, and I read single issues." I'm not talking about you. <laughs> I am talking so you're about good, yeah. Yeah, I'm not talking... Well, it's not even that. It's just I'm talking about the people that read these stories and trade paperbacks. So they don't really have the context of Batman or Superman story stories being like an ongoing serialized narrative. Right. Well, that's, you know? that's that's what I mean. It's, it's they, they get a totally different context. You know, it's, 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 it's like... Um, Every Christmas, when they when every sitcom would have their own variation of a Christmas Carol, mm-hmm. you know, 
And yeah. if if you tuned into the facts of life that did that, and that was you were like, oh, that's what the facts of life is like, you know? Yeah, it's, it's just it's, like no, <laughs> right? Or, or or no, even a better example is the story where someone gets hit on the head, and they go into some weird Alice in Wonderland, or they go into some variation with all the people in the. If that's the one you saw and you loved it, and you were like, "That was a I I I love you know, one day at a time." You know that was great. And <laughs> Dwayne Schneider was Napoleon Bonaparte. It was awesome. And <laughs> and meanwhile, yeah, you're 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 looking at something in a completely different context and and thinking that's the the norm. And I think that's what happened. Right. I think starting with Dark Knight, that's where that stuff started to happen, and. Well- you started out with like basically your Frank Miller and your and your Alan Moore as the two, and and probably Neil Gaiman is like the next level under him of the sort of pretentious, really skilled writers who are full of themselves. And Frank Miller went downhill fast, and Alan Moore just seems to do less than he used to. I will and- defend this story in the in the aspect of I don't. I, and I, I'm serious about this. I don't think Alan Moore went into this story pretentiously. I don't think no, he wrote I, it pretentiously. I don't think he intended to be pretentious, but I do... He always is a little around the edges, though. No, I mean, that's with this particular one, I honestly think he wrote it to be a love letter to this era of Superman. I really well, well, do. It was, well, unfortunately, but... it's been latched onto by other people who are very pretentious about comic books and don't understand and held up as a did. shining example of, you know, this is how awesome Superman should be all the well, time. That, and it's, that... it's the same problem I have with all star Superman is where people want to hold that up. And now they're going to go and give Superman to the writer of that. Because they look at that and go, wow, that was awesome. They should all be like this. And it's well, like, no, you're missing the fucking point. Is well, that this was, any, a, was, was a wonderful anomaly, a wonderful right. wonderful diversion there's, of the norm. You know, That's what many, makes it special. Right. There's not many Alan Moores out there. And a lot of the people who wanted to be Alan Moore, the, you know, the, um, the, 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 the sort of pretentious guys of today... And you know who I'm talking about, Scott. You oh, yeah. talk about him all the time. That 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 type. They they get they only get what Alan Moore and those guys were doing on a superficial level. Yeah. And at the same time, they don't take it in the context of the time period that they were doing it and what right. they were what they were making fun of and reflecting from the time period. And they only see it as wow, these guys took the superheroes made them dark and gritty and fucked with the whole you know fucked everything around to make it more realistic because but i don't think alan moore really went for the quote unquote realism but he would think things through he would think he would go what would happen really if you know you had a person that had these powers but then he would fit it into the already existing comic context and that would give it that like le- that level of like he could comment on that at the same time, and it is it's almost like somebody doing an essay on Superman, you know, in some ways. Right. And but it, and it's but, good for a what if story, you know. But more to the point, it's extremely unfair, and and and, and yeah. it's more of that. It's more of that trade paperback mentality, where you know. It, it, 
and, and it, even though I'm eight years younger than you guys, in our day, when someone goes, what's a great Batman story? You know, I, I could say, like, Death in the Family or Nightfall or, or you know, or even, you know, going into, like, the individual issues, like the, mm-hmm. uh, the issue where Nightwing meets the new Jason Todd for the first time after the crisis and all that. You know, little small stories, you know, those are what we think of. Nowadays, it's like, well, what, you know, what's a great, you know, recommend a good Batman story. Oh, you need to read The Long Halloween. Long Halloween's a great Batman story. I'm not arguing that point. My point is, I dare you to do something like that in an ongoing narrative uh, of the of, of the ongoing series. I mean, and 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 have it be memorable and not in the easily packaged twelve issue yep. trade mm-hmm. paperback. Yep. Yeah, exactly. it's the thing. It's like it's like all things. There's it's like it's like people people who listen to music, which are, everybody listens to music for the most part. It's the anomalous person who's like, ah, I don't listen to music at all. But, you know, you have some people that just sort of like, okay, there's, you know, at, at certain times they like certain songs that they hear, and they're willing to listen to them, and they'll buy the record and stuff, and they'll probably listen to it for years and stuff. But then there's also a s- much smaller group of people who they'll hear a band and then they'll be like, why do I like this band? And they'll find out who's in it and they'll find out what bands they were in before. There's always going to be those comic book readers who like, okay. And, and the scary thing is, is the dark Knight is it's like a dark Knight Um, comic book is officially an antique now because it's over 20 years old or 25 years old. One of the two yeah. there, it's an official antique. So, um, you know, there's a lot of people who consider that old school Batman. <laughs> you know what I mean? And well, in fact, it was n- it was really no school Batman in in a way. It was just sort of its own thing. And it was unfair because he got to do whatever he wanted to the care with the right, character. right, what, and what with no mean? consequence. And yeah, and, well, it made for a great comic, but it, 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 you know, when 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 you take that as like being where the starting point of Batman, that's not a that's not it was not written to be a starting point of of all future Batman. It was it was a basically an indulgence of uh, that's what the, basically these stories are taking you're a great writer, indulge yourself and do a Superman story and but, we'll let you have your way with it because it won't count, but you know, you know, go to go to town. You know, it's actually why I'll look at Year One and say I like that over Dark Knight because at least with Year One, it was establishing the new continuity of the character, mm-hmm. uh, and I it was like written by the same guy. And uh, well, Miller up until a certain point when he became batshit crazy. Right, and uh, you Before know, his ego consumed him. <laughs> I was about to say. I mean, you, you, you look. Uh, Miller refers to Dark Knight. I, I love the, the 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 description. Is that uh, you know, it's the closest thing to a bar fight that ever happened in the comics creator community. Because <laughs> there are people who think he ruined the character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, but no, with more, you know. As I've always said, it's not so much that I dislike Alan Moore or dislike his writing. I hate that fucking cult of personality right. that surrounds people like this. Because then you just got these people. It's like, well, if you don't like him, you don't like good comics. And I'm like, fuck you. You know. You see, the the thing that makes Alan Moore stand out against his... 
I think Alan Moore, just like Harlan Ellison, there's a there's a cult of personality around both of those guys. But if I think you got those fans who are just like talking like you were just talking in front of, especially Harlan Ellison, but I bet you Alan Moore too, they'd be like, yeah, fuck you too, you know. They, you know, they'd probably be just as, well, you I know. That's the difference what, between the two of them ultimately is that I like the term a you know cult of personality around them because i think that with alan moore i think it is around him I, you know i could be dead wrong but i don't think he embraces i fully think he's, i always the, got the impression he was kind of hermit like right well yeah that's what i mean i don't think he embraces the the legend that's been put upon him i think he considers himself you know, a comic book writer, good or bad or indifferent, I don't know. But I don't think he looks at himself and goes, I'm Alan fucking Moore. I'm so mega awesome, cool, wow, wicked, you know. Whereas Grant Morrison does. He believes his own hype. That's his biggest problem. Well, I think the Grant Morrison guys stink. I think the Grant I think the Grant Morrison guys see Alan Moore, and that's what they think he's like, too. And they, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I don't to, think he is. They don't get it. They don't get it. Everything Alan Moore, I've ever seen with Alan Moore, he seems to me like he's pretty, pretty humble, pretty down to earth. He's humble, yeah, he's a freak, but down yeah. to well, that's what I was gonna say. He's just your average, <laughs> average run of the mill. He's an eccentric. He has eccentric, weird yeah. claw rings that he wears to make his fingers pointy all the time. That he clicks around and lives with his wife and her girlfriend. You know, it's like a freaking well, that, typo negative song come to life. There's nothing that there's there's nothing unnatural about that. The only reason that doesn't happen is most men are not able to wrangle it. So I always got a sort of <laughs> pagan sort of, you know, Wiccan vibe off him that he was sort of into that sort of stuff and you know, that those sort of you know, a lot of times he could probably and you know, there's a large like druidic British <laughs> whatever. God bless him for that. But yeah, he's a He's kind of a kook, and I think he likes keeping it to himself, doing his thing. He's got his his like sort of okay band, you know. They're like an okay, they're like a good bar band that he that he's like really into playing. And he just he has found a way to do his own thing. And I don't, yeah, I don't think he gives two shits about what anybody thinks of him. But I think that was Frank Miller's downfall. As Frank Miller was did actually start believing his hype, and now really there's yeah. not too many people that are too interested in him anymore right well once you fuck up the spirit as much as he did oh. and then tell people well this is what uh will would have wanted <laughs> that's when will eisner comes back from the dead and goes frank i preferred the 1987 film that i disavowed at one point so you know mike you just reminded me that i have to and god damn it i don't want to watch that movie again but i've heard that if you watch it with the director's commentary on it, that it is like breathtaking in its like pretentiousness and <laughs> wackiness. So I I got to hear. I'm I'm very curious. I, I actually had I had shunted that movie right out of my memory, and you brought it back, and I was sort of like, "Damn you for bringing it back!" But then it's like, no, there was a reason. Well, as much as I hate to, fellas, I think I need to rein us in a little bit on this one because not only have we gone long for this segment, I think we're going wicked long for this episode again. However, uh, 
you had an idea for the next make Honeywell. I, I, I do. Before we get to that, though, I have an an overall idea, and I'm not sure how it would work or where it would happen or who all would be involved. But I, I had an idea, and I know that Mike and I have both. I don't know if we've ever expressed this together on the same podcast, but I know that we've both individually, at least, expressed the same sentiment, which is. You know, we, we're both huge fans of, you know, what Mike has dubbed the from crisis to crisis era of Superman. You know, the one that started with, with John Byrne's Man of Steel and then, you know, ended when uh, when Infinite Crisis happened. That era of Superman. You know, that that's both our personal favorites and, and we were big fans. And he just kind of ended, you know, when, when Infinite Crisis happened and the whole timeline went all piss wacky and everything he didn't get a send-off. So at some point, Mike, you know, whether it's you and Jeffrey together on your show or you and I speculating on one of our myriad of shows we do together, something like that, at some point, I would like us to seriously delve into a discussion of whatever happened to the Man of Steel. Okay. You know, what if that story had been published? What if that character, that Superman iteration got the same send-off this iteration of Superman got, and it was a story called Whatever Happened to the Man of Steel. What would we have wanted that story to be like? So I, I'd be down for that. Yeah, I'd like to do that at some point. Because I... That, yeah, I that should have happened. It really did. And it, it's well, kind of a... Well, you know, and if you ask DC, they're like, well, we did that Superman This Is Your Life story where it was the Earth 2 Superman and the current Superman switching places and living each other's lives. Yeah, but that's... And it wasn't that good of a story. No, and I it remember wasn't, that. It wasn't, it wasn't this. So, yeah, next time around, uh, my suggestion for, for that time, because I think it's my time to choose, right? Yeah, because Mike cho- chose this one. Um, I want to throw out Marvel Graphic Novel number 33. It's a... Uh, a Thor story um, called, I believe it's called Whom Gods... No, it's called uh, I Whom the Gods Would Destroy. That's the name of it. So that's that's what I want to do for next time. Um, so that wraps us up on this. Do we want to do The Walking Dead, fellas? I say... We let him go! <laughs> <laughs> I say what we do... Since we're, I, I say we swear to swear to the gods of the undead that <laughs> next month we'll do two Walking Dead comics. Yeah, I'd be down for that. Because otherwise, not, man, they're gonna find a skeleton in front of your computer with like, you know. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> with with the cobwebs on it. <laughs> yeah. And I know what that's like. I, uh, if you guys want me to cut this part later, I'll cut it out of the show and won't include it. But I, ha- I kind of had an idea a while ago, and I'm sorry to, to spring it on you during the actual Uh-oh. recording. But here's an idea I had a while back. You know, well, you know, Chris, back when we were talking about, you know, splitting more shows or creating more shows and that sort of thing. Since we are having such a blast with this show, and since it has been going long, but nobody's complaining, you know, I mean, the three of us aren't complaining, but plus the listeners aren't complaining, I'm almost wondering if maybe this is the show that we want to split. 
and create, you know, much like we do with with Star Trek Monthly have Monday. Have two parts, yeah, like have one two part parts. where we just talk shit, and then well, another one, part yeah, that exactly. has all those One part, what we it. just did, and then the other part will be structured. And I we don't know. Do, you see, I like what I like when we do this with recording because we can just stop and go. I don't know. What do you guys think? Mm-hmm. <laughs> would you guys go for that? I mean, it would just be. I mean, it's not too hard to download another. We'll end up. For you, and I don't mind this at all, because you'll be doing the editing, too, is is then you get a little taste of the Star Trek Monthly Monday Medicine. Right. Because it won't be like, we, we, we won't end up doing two half shows. We'll just end up recording, you know. I mean, we always end up talking right. before and after these anyway, so it's not going to take up really any much more well, of our I've time. I've had this idea for a while, because, you know, well, you know of course we have Walking Dead, but we have other segments that we've either It'll talked about It'll get us to number doing, 500 a bit faster. <laughs> yeah, that's true, too. But, you know, we've had other segments that we've either done and then we've dropped and thought about picking back up. And then we've had uh, ideas both between you and I and between Mike and I that yeah. talked and, about, you know, just in theory that, gee, wouldn't it be nice to do a Hulk thing or a ROM and, thing and or we whatever. Could try some of the, and we could get back to some of the Swamp things. Exactly, yeah. Maybe. We could get back on Swamp the, thing. The John Byrne X-Men. John Byrne X-Men, yeah, exactly. So what do you guys think it, about that? What we could do is each of us pick a title. Right. Like, you know, one of you we'll, pick, you know, like Walking Dead, Swamp Thing, and I'll pick something. If that if that's how it would work, or if we could work in another way, it doesn't matter. Right. And then we all three read those books. Right. The person responsible for their book does a synopsis for their book. Right. And then everyone gets to talk about it. Oh, that could be fun. I like or, that idea. Or we could do a rotate. We could rotate if we wanted to. Yeah, do it in do. three, we could rotate other rotate stuff. In or three. yeah. So I like that idea because then that way, I mean, as it is right now, pretty much everybody gets equal time. We all bring something to the table. With that, with that, it's definitely structured. You know, everybody has something. Uh-huh. You know, so everybody's doing a synopsis and and bringing a book to the table. Um, what I'd like. Well, to if do, we end up doing three comics a month, we'll also be spending a little less, a bit less time on each comic than we would if we did one at a time too. So that's that's something to think about too. Whether we want to do one comic a little more in depth or three comics a little less in depth, you know. Right. Either way, I'm I am happy with either way. I wonder what people, what pe- you know, do 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 people are basically listeners. Are you just of the opinion of I don't know. As long as you're flapping your jaws and I'm interested, I don't care. You know, or would you like more, you know, would you like us to cover more comics with with snappier synopses and and maybe less analysis? Or would you rather have, you know, a a, a comic hit more in depth and then, you know, and which would mean we would progress through the comics a lot at a lot slower pace? I don't know. I right. don't know what they want, God damn it! I can't tell what they want. I keep getting mixed signals. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's there's so many things we could do. I mean, we're definitely going to do Walking Dead. I'd love to pick back up Swamp Thing. You know, that third spot is wide open because there's been a lot of other ideas. You know, there, we could pick back up the John Byrne thing, or we could go with some other back burner yeah. thing. We could go well, with I... the Hulk, with Rom. You know, there's a million other things that we've we've you keep throwing that Rom thing out <laughs> Rom. pretty hard for there. Well, I mean, <laughs> we could do the Hulk. We could do uh, Rom. We could do uh, Thor. Rom. Um. Um. Rom. Rom. Megan. Rom. Um. 
<laughs> rom, 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 rom. Yep. We know how Scott's mind works. I don't like rom! <laughs> <laughs> Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening, and join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. sense a disturbance in the force. You always sense a disturbance in the force. I don't like this. Really pissed me off. Oh no! It's a trap! Chewie, get us out of here! You can't run. Help me! Or two! This is where the fun begins.
Star Wars Monthly Mondays, available the first Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the Burn reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. Join David Ellis and Amy Morgan as they access 2099 Bitmap, a bi-weekly podcast exploring the world of Marvel 2099 through reviews and discussions. Download 2099 Bitmap at www.tfradio.net. Geeking the Geek is a podcast for the geek and everyone. Please join your host, Peregrine and D-Man, each week as they discuss all the things that geek guys love to talk about from the sci-fi, fantasy, and comic genres. For movies, TVs, comics, novels, and games, seek out Definitive Geek. Available on iTunes or at DefinitiveGeek.Podomatic.com. Attention, people of Earth, do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hey you! Yes you! Hearing this message. Do you like podcasts? Well evidently you do because you're listening to one right now. Do you like giant monsters? Of course you do! Who doesn't like giant monsters? Well then have I got the show for you! Earth Destruction Directive is the newest Daikaiju podcast on the internet. And we talk about all your old favorites, like Godzilla, Rodan, King Ghidorah, and Gamera. But also lesser known monsters, like Gappa, Yangari, and Giawa. We cover everything, from movies, to comic books, to video games, and we're kicking it old school at earthdestructiondirective.blogspot.com Check it out, won't you? And remember, the EDD has got their eyes on you! 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 Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey. And I am Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what? Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. 
From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman. Wait, wait, from... wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number one in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world, when these comics were published, and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. Hey, kids! Comics! Hey, Michael! Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read... Our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. Well, you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Um, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. That's snappy. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right talk about comics? We do, we talk about comics, we read comics, and then we talk about them, because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent, keep going. And then... We sing! Badly! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Ages Comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com Hi, my name is Billy Hogan, host of the Superman Fan Podcast, which explores the world of Superman and the many creators who have added to his legacy over the decades. Episodes will feature creator biographies or highlight some of their top stories they have created as well as their top characters. Other episodes will feature topics appropriate to the holiday or the time of the year. For instance, Valentine's Day will feature stories about the women in Superman's life, April Fool's Day will feature some of the bizarre Superman Silver Age stories or some of the imaginary stories that have been published. Halloween will feature some of the scary Superman stories or some of his strange transformations and, of course, some of the Christmas Superman stories. The website can be found at supermanfanpodcast.mypodcast.com. James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was?
Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Do we violate the treaty, Captain? Red alert! All hands, battle station! What are you scratching at? Can we just get down to it, please? Federal attack, all hands battle station. No! Monthly Mondays, available the second Monday of every month at twotruefreaks.libson.com. I saw Emmanuel Lewis tonight. Did you? I thought he was dead. Did you chase him down the street? Manny Mo. Was he like pumping your gas or something? That's, um... No, he lives in the area. He was at the Crystal hanging out. Emmanuel Lewis? Yes. I thought he was dead. Oh, Gary no. Coleman's dead. It's Gary like, Coleman, Emmanuel Lewis, they're both the same person. Where have you been? They're both the same Didn't person. Emmanuel Lewis was one of the first people they had on that reality show with all the celebrities living under the same roof. Dude, and Emmanuel Lewis was Gary Coleman's secret identity. Did you ever see them anywhere at the same place at the same time? I think they I did. never saw either of them separately or together. Or Emmanuel anything, Lewis so would put on a, right. a false mustache, and then he became Gary Coleman. I'm telling you. Whatever, man. <laughs> they were too, They were like two. I love when you guys get really quiet. Like, is he serious about this shit? No, I'm thinking about it because I'm thinking they both look like manchichis, but they look like two <laughs> different species, two different species of manchichis. So soft and cuddly. Yep. Send your hate mail to Chris Honeywell at. <laughs> I just calls it like I sees it. Wake up, white people! But um, <laughs> wake up! I'm die. Wake up, white people! You're 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 napping on the job. <laughs> wake up! Time to die. Yeah, but I, I got. I remember watching that. <laughs> I remember watching that show and thinking Emmanuel Lewis seems like. A, he seemed like a really nice guy. He it, it was weird. He struck up a friendship, I think, with MC Hammer. It was very strange. Why are we and, talking about this? Because Michael saw him. Oh, in Mike the flesh, right. in the flesh. In gas station. Yeah. What What was he doing? No, he was. <laughs> he was hiding in I've his gas tank. Him. I've seen him at a gas station. Actually, we uh, when I worked third shift at the gas station at this one uh, convenience store, he would come in every once in a while. Uh, and uh, get a slushy or something. It was really weird. But uh, tonight I went into the crystal and I look over and there he is leaving, waving to the people at the crystal because apparently he comes by once a week and hangs out and uses their Wi-Fi. Yeah, it's weird. Me too. What you talking about, Michael Bailey? I think he had the same. Was it? Is it a thyroid disease or he had some sort of a um, 
pituitary d diseases, Gary Coleman, which is not good. You don't really have a very... I think both... I think Emmanuel Gary, Lewis was a couple of years younger than Gary Coleman, but Gary Coleman was our age. Yeah, I thought Gary Coleman had a kidney disease or something. A kidney disease, whatever it was, it's it it seriously stunts your... They both had Kidneys, the same... Kidneys, thyroid, it's the same thing. Whatever, you switch them all around, they do the same thing. Stand the basics of human anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> Scott only knows a few parts of the. He only know. He only knows uh, astonishingly the parts that get kids and uh, tits, ass, and fill, and fill the, the toilet. Thing. Yeah, if food goes <laughs> in, poop comes out, or same. babies get made. He's got all that part of anatomy covered. <laughs> Obviously, not like combing hair and stuff. Judging from the picture he sent me, that looks like fucking David Hasselhoff when he was drunk and eating the hamburger on the floor. <laughs> Oh, I don't got, know what the story was that, but I got that. Stitches. Yeah, I got that in my mail, and I felt violated. <laughs> my reply was, "Dude, what the fuck?" What the fuck? Yes, I saw that. I get these pictures of Scott. It looks like the the mug shots of uh, what's it? What's his name? Who had the head injury? Um, Gary, Gary Busey. Busey. Gary Busey. <laughs> He's got Boy, the. What's fucking... funny was I was out with my wife. The picking like eight dinner. inch arm hair and shit like that I too. It's checking bad out. I was uh, I was oh. checking my email while I was waiting for it to come out of the pizza joint, and I get an email from you that just says, "Dude, what the fuck?" <laughs> and I thought, you know, I always read emails differently than I'm sure that they were intended. Right. You know, the tone right. was so it, I read it as like. Dude, what the fuck? You know, like you were mad that at me about it was like, Yeah, what the fuck? You burned my eyes, man. You hurt me. I had no, to open up my inbox and look down this. and go, oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, the origin at the of same time, I had to think of going, why would a grown, sane man send those pictures to somebody who has Photoshop skills? <laughs> Doesn't he know I will use them over exactly. and over I and the origin Over story again. the origin story behind those pictures was after like a wicked late night at work i come home couldn't fucking i've had serious serious insomnia lately which is why we're still recording at 2:55 a.m. yeah i got to get to bed soon i'm about to fucking pass out but finish <laughs> your story <laughs> you know i've i've had trouble sleeping you know i'm working late nights and everything and uh i slept a couple hours and, I mean, the heat here has been just fucking murderous lately. So I got up after just a couple of hours sleep. I stumble my way into the bathroom. I turn on the light, and it was like, ah! You know, it's like, what's that monster in the mirror, you know? And it was me. Why did Bigfoot from the $6 million man get right. into my house? Exactly. So immediately I think, I got to take a picture of this. So I took... Wait, 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 whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> he didn't take just Back one that picture. Shit of it. up and explain that one more time, like it's not the most natural thing on the face of the planet. <laughs> right. Because I right. knew that this asshole would want to <laughs> Photoshop that into some look angar two true freak stuff. So I sent him pictures. I may just put those raw pictures up on the forum <laughs> just to say, "Look what this idiot did." <laughs> I may have a contest for because. Uh, because, Michael, I see that you are picking up Photoshop skills at an amazing superhuman rate. So, 
you know, maybe I'll pop you off a copy of these two, and maybe we can have a little <laughs> contest at Scott's expense. And you are the one that's constantly telling me that I need, I need a fit, I need a yeah, post, I need this, I need that, because you have like yeah. one picture of me going, you know. Where, <laughs> but what a picture it is, man! I've got every, so much my mileage off that and i'll get and god damned if that picture doesn't fit on almost any head right. there's been many times where i've wanted to use another picture but that picture just like magically fits onto whoever i'm putting it on I have a head like a micronaut dude it's that, uh, what although although for the last star trek with the piece of the like action too <laughs> i've got a mego head there's a photoshop picture of of uh somewhere that has to get dug out of what if Scott Gardner? What was it? What if the Hulk had Scott Gardner's penis? Oh or, yeah. What if? What if Scott Gardner had the dick of the Hulk? <laughs> As uh, oh my God, where is that picture? I gotta find that. I but I know I sent you a copy. I have a copy of it too. So that has to come, that has to come out to the public. It's from the cover of a What If story, and it has General Ross going. Uh, don't shoot. He's hung like a horse or some stupid fucking thing on the. It's funny. <laughs> he may be my son in law or he something. May be my but he's hung like he's a horse. Hung like a horse. That was it. <laughs> uh. yeah.